Hey. I'm You're here. here. Yes. You're here. I am here. I'm, I'm present and accounted for. Not sure about next weekend, but I'm here. Oh, are this you going to pull out next weekend episode 190? Such a special show. Well, first of it's all, it's an anniversary show. Ask me what the anniversary is. I was told pulling out's not a safe method, <laughs> so I don't know if that's going to. You're going to take a break again from one of our biggest shows ever. Do you realize who's oh. booked for episode 190? I don't. Do you have any idea? Do you? No, <laughs> but it's a big one nonetheless. Right? I know, maybe <laughs> I'm gonna be in Lacey, Washington. I, I could probably make it back if I can find time. What to for, throw like some... for like girls basketball or it girls would, softball? It would or be what? girls softball, yes, or travel team. So first travel time, first Lacey, time they've traveled. Washington's not that far. Yeah, it's, it's an hour, right? But so I gotta come go. On back. I go to Snoqualmie. I get my car. Oh, I gotta come to Bellevue. It's a whole thing. Brett, get me the violin. <laughs> the lady right. violin. I'll plan on doing. It. I don't know if I'll have any Up notes. to you. You just gotta tell me though. Okay. Episode 189, and I thought that maybe we would we would start with a little Stump the Band. Should I start with Stump the Band, or should I start with Mitch Unfiltered is available on all major podcast platforms and the spiel? Do I do the spiel first or the Stump the Band first? Let's get Stump the Band out of the way. Okay. I'm usually not really good right. at yours. I'm calling into the radio station, KJR, Mitch in the morning, <laughs> and uh, Mitch in Bellevue. Yes. Baseball trivia. Okay. Baseball trivia. Name the Mariner starting pitcher who has the greatest season start over his first five starts in the history of the organization. And we're going to base it on ERA. ERA, okay? okay. We're using ERA as the metric. First five starts. The first five starts in a season. The greatest Mariner starting pitcher of them all wow. in terms of the first five starts of the season. To begin a year. If it's not Bob Walcott, then I don't know who the hell it's it is. It's not Bob Walcott. Chris Bazio. It's not Chris Bazio and his chin. Something tells me it's uh, a current player. Otherwise, why, why, you probably wouldn't no, be Why wouldn't you just guess Randy Johnson? Well, he was a little wild when he first started. No, no, no. I'm not talking about his first five starts of his career. I'm talking, about the, the first, I'm talking about the first five starts of a season. The best start to a season. Okay. It could be Randy Johnson's fifth season or right, eighth right. season. Okay. Right? Well, I'm guessing it's a uh, current Mariner. Would you just guess Randy Johnson? <laughs> I want you to guess Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson. That would be incorrect. Why would you even guess <laughs> Stupid that? Stupid guess. Robbie Ray. I'll go. Is his name Robbie Ray? Yeah. I'll go with him. Robbie Ray. No, it's incorrect. With a nice butt, apparently. Everyone Until on Twitter thinks. Sunday, the day that we recorded, the correct answer yeah. was Randy Johnson. Do you remember 1995? Oh, boy. Does do that I. year ring a bell? Let me tell you about Randy Johnson's first five starts of 1995. Okay. He threw a combined 29 and a third innings over his first five starts okay. in 1995. He allowed three earned runs for an ERA of. 0.92. Not bad. That was the best season start by a Mariner <laughs> starting pitcher in the history of the organization until Sunday, the day that we recorded this. And that got him into the All-Star game, right, against Kruk? Was that the year that he threw behind uh, Kruk? I'm not or was good it the with year years. Before? I don't know. 95? Okay. I know that 95 was a, a fairly significant year here in baseball. It was, but... Yeah, people, I can't remember what exactly happened well, at the end of that year. People but. love to romanticize it, but in July, I was going and there were 6,000 people there. Yeah, it got hot at the end. It got a little hot at the end. When New yes. York Vinny got on the table. <laughs> I forgot to vote. <laughs> yes. When New York Vinny got on the FX McCrory's table, table, that changed everything. That sure did, yes. Especially the history of that table. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, Vinny. God love him.
Okay, what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, it's not Robbie Ray. Is that the greatest starter, not only in the history of the Mariners, but probably one of the two best left-handers in the history of the sport, okay. Randy Johnson, had the best start to a season until the Sunday we're recording this. Right. And I know it was a Sunday that Julio smashed his first ever home run. Not sure if you've seen that highlight just yet. Have you? Well, I was coaching when it happened. Yeah. And I saw a message oh. from my friend that said Julio something. Oh. But Piper's coach is named Julio, so I got confused. <laughs> I was like, God, what's happening? I can't keep this straight. Oh, yeah. God. So I'm gonna actually I'm gonna go with Logan Logan Gilbert. Logan Gilbert on go. Sunday pitched. I'll have you know that Randy Johnson's 0.92 ERA through five starts of 1995. Yeah. Logan Gilbert now through five starts of 2022, okay? He has pitched, instead of the 29 innings, he's pitched 28 innings. 0.64. He has clipped Randy Johnson for the best start for a Mariners starting pitcher yeah. to a season. I'm not saying it very well, but you get the point. Did, did we see this coming? I mean, I watched the Mariners oh, a little bit last good. year. Yeah, he's good. Even, but even last year, people were no, like, no, there's no. something he was, there? He, oh, we knew that. There, we've always known that there's something there. Okay. He's a top-notch prospect. What kept him he, from being he this? Had, well, last year was his rookie year. That's what kept him from being. It was his rookie year. Okay. He was getting acclimated, and he had some stretches of like, whoa, he's going to be great. Okay. And then he had some other, and he probably will have those again. Yeah. It's only five starts. I mean, sure. let's not make a mouth. Let's not like start a podcast with a with a freaking <laughs> trivia question. What kind about of podcast it? would do that? <laughs> God, Fakakta podcast. <laughs> right. You always like Fakakta. I love Fakakta. I could always make you giggle with Fakakta. It's a good one. Whenever I was having trouble making you giggle, I say Fakakta. <laughs> That's you start right. To giggle. Every time. So Logan Gilbert's in his second year. Yeah. And he was special when they drafted him. I think he went to Stetson in Florida. Top-notch pitcher. Okay. Maybe pitcher of the year in college baseball. Drafted him in the first round. Yeah. Was great in the minor leagues. Okay. Had 95, 96, 97, and three pitches. I mean, he, this guy was earmarked for success. Okay. And then last year was his first year really young. First major league year. And he had, a, as I said, he had some, some periods of greatness where you were like, okay. Yeah. When he's able to put that together, like over a period of, well, he started the season on fire. In fact, I, I will tell you, and people are probably already saying this because they saw the game. On Sunday, he wasn't even particularly that good. Okay. He only allowed one run, and he walked a bunch of guys. He was a little bit of wild. He hadn't allowed a hit through the five innings. He only pitched five and two-thirds innings. But the point is that, boy, yeah. youth was served on Sunday. Julio smashed. Now, did you say you saw the highlight? I haven't seen it yet. No. Oh, smash it like a smash. Look proper. at Mitch. Go to Mitch's Twitter. I have the highlight right. right there for you. Gotcha. Just crushed it. Love it. And he hopped around the bases. Big smile. Yeah. The interview after the game. If you haven't seen the interview, this is what you love about this guy. He was like, this was so fun. It was. I mean, you just love him. He's like, he's got the exuberance <laughs> of like a, a 15 year old. He's not that far away from 15. <laughs> he's smiling. He was like, oh, it was so fun. Yeah. By the way, they walked the guy in front of him to get to him. Smart. And he said, I'm going to make him pay on That's that. That's right. Make him pay. And yeah. he just. 110 miles an hour of exit Ooh. velocity, 450 feet into the kind of the upper uh. deck in Miami, whatever you call that. And his last nine games, I'll have you know, now he's only hitting 234 to start yeah. the season. In his last nine games, including Sunday, 12 of 33, 364. In his last nine games, he hasn't, he has stolen, I think, nine bases, has not been caught. Yeah, and I now saw he's that. got and now he's got his first home run, and it was just and he had a three-hit day. You just felt with this guy, and I know they said the same thing about Koenig, 
but you just felt with this guy that once he just he has a day like this, that yeah. he's not he's not gonna ever look back. That's right. And now, so next week when you come back from Lacey, <laughs> he'll have not gotten a hit for the rest of the time. And you'll be like, Mitch, I thought you told me he's not going to look back. That's right. <laughs> so now no. do I bring up Kelnick and how he did over the weekend? No, or no, we, we don't do that. Okay. We just stick with Julio. Well, I'm mad about Kelnick. I'm mad at Mariners fans about Kelnick, but that's a different story. That you don't want to get into. Yeah, but we're kind of in the T section. I guess oh, okay. I could. I'll give it to you real quickly. Okay. People are not loving Kelnick. Everybody's frustrated about his start. He did not do particularly well last year until the very last part of the season. Now he's struggling this year. Yeah, yeah he looks lost. Yeah, he might need to go to AAA. There have been a million baseball players, Hotshot, who in their first, I don't know, 600 at-bats sucked and then became Hall of Famers. Okay. This does not make him unusual. But for some reason, he rubs Mariner fans the wrong way. Maybe his huh. personality, maybe he's not as charming as Julio, whatever it is. Yeah. And it seems like Mariner fans are ready to bash him. They're already bad. The guy has had, I don't I don't have it in front of me, maybe 400 at-bats. He hasn't had a full season of at-bats yet. He was a top-notch prospect. Prospect. He might end up being unbelievable. And Mariner fans are kind of giving it to him, which mm. makes it harder for him to bounce out, If he, especially if he has like, rabbit ears right. and he's listening to all this it makes it it makes the whole thing worse and i just wish part of me wishes that mariner fans would treat him like they like julio even though they're vastly different people yeah julio's kind of more fun and young and kelnick is more kind of tough and a little more of a seriousness seriousness yeah. cockiness to him yeah yeah I just wish I wish Mariner fans would not jump off so quickly yeah. because I've seen this before and in baseball in particular, when fan bases jump off somebody, it's hard for that somebody to still turn it around at that place. They typically go somewhere else right. and then become a star. That's what we don't if need. If they become a star. Yeah, we, we don't need that. We don't need that. We don't need him becoming a 10-time all-star for Boston. Or the something. guy's in about buck fifty. He needs to go to AAA. He's lost. I get it all. <sighs> But don't we all, aren't we all rooting for him to get, to click like Julio does? Yes. And, and But we're making it harder for that to happen by giving him the business. I wonder People why, are giving him the business. Why the short leash with him? Because of the, I think the, the attitude. I think he was caught. I think he said, you know, I was ready for, he was ready to come up early. Remember the whole oh, that's right. Mather yeah, thing? Yeah. I, I don't know. People are not ready to embrace Kelnick at all. Yeah, sports fans are fickle that they just decide for whatever what, reason God. they they love a Kyle oh, that's Seager. My, that's my spiel. I should get And off. then Kelnick is annoying them. Well, anyway. I'm rooting for him. Mitch Unfiltered is available <laughs> on all major podcast platforms. Please, please, please rate and review us on that Apple site and become a Mitch Unfiltered patron of $5 a month. You'll have access to all the uh all the bonus content throughout the week. Uh if you'd like to be a patron with access with the 5 bucks Per month is an issue. Write me, as many have. Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. No questions. I'll take care of it. I've got one letter from the mailbag. Okay. It's a little different than the normal letters that I read. Chris Kale writes, Mitch, your rapport and engagement with Hotshot oh seems to be getting better and better. Hotshot's comedic timing, I thought you'd like that, and wit are better than ever. Wow. His playing off of you is at his best since he's been with you. And I know Hotshot always fears that there's a butt coming. <laughs> and there is. There's none. Oh. No butts. All good. Enjoying the show, Chris Kale. Wow. 
I hate the way to that, read that. But me. I hate the way that you would categorize that as one we don't typically get or an unusual one. That's how you started it. And sadly, you're probably right. Sadly, <laughs> or I'm probably. Am I right or yeah, am I wrong I think about you're that? right. Yeah, there's no Do but. most of the emails that I read to you sound like that one? I'm saying it's do sad any that of they the don't. Emails, do any of the emails that I, that no. I read to you sound like that one? No, they do not. All right, so take the probably out of the equation. You don't have to say probably. But I can say it's still sad that you have to categorize it as a different one. A positive one is different. That's what I'm saying. People don't write nice email, reactionary emails. They only write oh, okay. when they're disgruntled. You know that. I think so. Yeah, and they don't call. Uh, Tom Lee used to tell me that two percent of the two percent of your audience calls the show hot. Yeah. So that's the, not the way he talked. That's that was Eric Powers. Oh, it was. You just did an Eric Powers for a Tom well, Lee. Tom Lee was sort of like this a little bit. Hey, hotshot. He's just he. I, I called a, him tiptoe Tommy Lee because yeah. you never knew where he was. He kind of tiptoed him, but he's very soft spoken. <laughs> you know, I saw him counting cards one time at a casino. Oh, he got thrown out. He got kicked out right next to yeah, me. Yeah, the Barbary Coast. Well, he didn't get kicked out. They asked him to leave. They pushed his chips back and out. Oh, he was very good at it. He, he was. taught me how to do it. Really? Yeah. Have you tried it? Oh, several times. Come on. Oh, are you? No. He taught me how to. This. He taught me how to count cards, <laughs> yeah. and I've never tried it. <laughs> yeah, but you're doing this for Cock the Podcast, so clearly you're not that good at it. Otherwise, you'd be living on <laughs> some some island. Did I ever say I'm good at it? <laughs> you just know how. Okay, fine. They <laughs> they they safeguard. Very few places have the two decks. Well, you can't really find. I mean, there's that's a what reason. I was going to say. Well, there's yeah. a reason. Once there's a shoe with like eight decks, yeah, but then they just it doesn't keep... matter how good you are. I could be brilliant. I could be freaking Rain Man. And if it's a shoe with eight decks and they're putting the little yellow end card like way into the into the shoe, yeah. there's no. There, you're only at a benefit. You're only at a competitive advantage yes. if you do it well at the very end, the last few hands. That's where you're at your most competitive advantage. When you kind of know what's left in the deck and there's only right. a few cards left. But if they hit the yellow thing like way into it, yeah. then you never really get to the back of the end of the shoot. I don't gotcha. know. Did I make any sense right there? You did to me, yes, because I love Pitch playing unfiltered. blackjack. Not off to a good start. No, it's fantastic. It's a bad it's stump the comedic timing's never been better by, by <laughs> me, I've noticed. <laughs> Would you like to know the guests? Yes, sir. Seahawks, no table, Brady, Joe, and I with the juicy info behind the curtain with the Seattle Seahawks 2022 draft Ooh. analysis. Did you watch the draft? I'm sure you did. We're going to talk about it in the first segment. There was a draft. Yeah. Yeah, I kept an eye on it. Jason Lock and Four are reflections of the NFL draft trades and surprises, what people are saying nationally about the Seahawks. So, so Brady and Joe will give us kind of a, a Seahawks-centric yeah. kind of look at it. Lock and Four will give us kind of a national view of the Seahawks and everyone else. Like a report card of how, he, how he thinks. Uh, kind of, a little bit. I, okay. I'm, not, I'm not big into report cards you're going to hear in the first segment. All right. Even though I, I brought five in for you. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> and then the third guest, I think, I, I don't know why I put him third. Probably put should have put him first. So you may not even know this. You know by now that the Seahawks, with the ninth overall pick, picked a left tackle out of Mississippi State. Yep. Right? Charles Cross. That's right. You also know probably with a 72nd pick, so I think that was in the third round, on mm -hmm. the second day, they picked a right tackle mm -hmm. out of Washington State. Yes. Abraham Lucas. Abe, we call him Abe. Oh, we do, okay. Yeah, me, me and Abraham. Good. Um, when I say those two things, does anything kind of connect with you besides the fact that they both play tackle and one – the hopes of the Seahawks is that one's the left tackle for the next 10 years yeah. and one's the right tackle for the, and they don't have to deal with that anymore and they can concentrate on other positions. Does anything kind of connect to you when I say 
Mississippi State and Washington State. Oh, was there one coach that coached at both? Is that what you're saying? Would his name be Mike Leach? Yeah, that maybe? guy. I remember him. Sure. The Pirates? Yeah. So is it possible that Mike Leach maybe brought his staff from Washington State to Mississippi State? Is it possible that the offensive line coach at Washington State who recruited Abe Lucas and had him the first two years, yeah. then went to Mississippi State and coached the other guy for oh. this last two years. Is that possible? The answer would be yes. Wow, interesting. And we found that guy. His name is Mason Miller. He's the offensive line coach of the Mississippi State Bulldogs. That's right. Starkville, Mississippi. He was formerly the offensive line coach at the Washington State. So he was both guys' coach. Yeah. He's going to join us and give us an assessment of both the two guys, how vastly different they are, okay. but their similarities as well, and how he's now become, this guy's become the biggest Seahawks <laughs> fan now, sitting right. in Starkville, Mississippi, with Seahawks gear on. Not too many people can have this kind of perspective on both of them. Both guys. Love it. One guess, both guys. I'm interested. If I could have only gotten him on. <laughs> that would be nice. So instead, <laughs> yeah. no, no, we got him on. Good. Okay. <clears throat> Hot Shot episode 189 is just not possible without our partners like Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor of our Beat the Boys March Madness Pool, the Masters Pool, and coming up, the PGA Championship in just a couple of weeks. Begin your search for fireplaces and garage doors at firesidehomesolutions.com. When National Powerhouse Cross Country Mortgage wanted a new Kirkland, Washington office, they turned to Jordan Flowers and his Kirkland team. Easy choice. No one, no one comes up with more creative, cost-saving ways for you and your mortgage than Jordan's group. Save hundreds every month. Seven minutes is all you need. His personal phone number, Jordan Flowers, 425-890-2957. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers, working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof, evergreengk.com, more than just a financial advisor. Evergreen is everything well. Zeke's Pizza, Spokane, Mill Creek, now opened in White Center at 9809 16th Avenue Southwest in Seattle. Pizza, salads, and the best beer selection anywhere. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown. In the Northwest. And Daniel's Broiler, Mother's Day is this Sunday. Biggest Sunday of the year. So my best guess is try getting reservations for Friday or Saturday night. Bring mom to the venue that does special occasions unlike any other. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. This is episode 189. Everything you wanted about the Seahawks draft and then some. And it begins right now unfiltered i think that the seahawks they get in their own way sometimes they get too cute for their own good they get caught up in let's pull somebody out that no one else is thinking about and let's look great about it kind of the flop shot mentality unfiltered god i'm starting to feel like mariners fans are jumping on him that he i don't know if he rubs people the wrong way with his look or his demeanor i don't know if people are comparing him to rodriguez but it feels like mariner fans are not being patient with him at all mitch is unfiltered Okay, Hotshot Scott, episode 189 now officially is underway. Speaking of guests, yes, I did listen to the umpire who got slapped in the face or punched in the face. Not the, slapped. 
Yeah, it was punch. It was. Did yeah. you see her? You yeah. see the picture? Well, I saw two. I saw one right after, and then one a couple days okay, after. That, that was almost worse. Those don't look like slaps, yeah. do they? It was a pretty good sock. Oh. And then I ha- well, actually, I have an update. I think, but I-, I noticed that the lady that hit her, yes, then went on Facebook. I mean, I know she said it in the interview, but and taunted. Yeah, had like emojis, and I'm not one to be messed with, and all this nonsense. It was yes. Like, yes. What is going on with people? What is wrong with everyone? It's a 12U. My daughter plays 12U travel ball. Yeah, like, she did. That's why I thought that this interview would resonate oh with Oh, my gosh. $40 a game. Right, $40 a game, yeah. Bang, bang, play at second base. 12-year-old girls. Woman is mad at the call. Yeah. Socks the umpire when she comes out of the diamond. <sighs> and then she said one day your kids will show up to their games. There just won't be any umpires. Like That's why, yeah. yeah there's not going mean, to Who, Who's dealing with that? Right. I told you one of Piper's Little League games, the umpire was seventh grade. Behind the plate. He had his little shoulder pads. He was so yeah, cute. He's like yeah. a little mini ump. I can Seventh remember. Seventh grade. They can't I'll get anyone. I'll leave the guy's name out of it. I should probably air it out. But I remember when Max, like when he was like 14, 15 playing baseball. Okay. He also umpired. Oh, that's right. Okay. And one of the coaches, I mean, he was umpiring like at the, at the time, like 11-year-olds. And one of the, and he was, and he was like 14. Right. Or 15. Yeah. And one of the coaches came, was so, it was a regular season uh, game. It was a ridiculous. Like a Little League game. A little, like Little League. Right. Like it didn't matter. People who have the not game. touched a bat can be on that team. Yes. Yeah. And, the, and the results of the game literally don't matter. They don't. They have no bearing on anything. <laughs> right. And, and this, did, and this but... coach got so mad at Max, came right up in his face, in his grill. You weren't there. You were I there. was there. I couldn't believe it. I was so shocked. I was like, what? What, oh what is gosh. wrong with you? These was screaming at him over a call. Yeah, see, we really try to protect this seventh grader. Both teams, we, you know, everyone knows each other by now. We've all played against each other, so we really try to protect him. Like, no one's, no one's doing that shit in Piper's Little League, at least in this aqua. I can't speak for other, other ones. Did that's, you see the picture of this woman? Did you yeah. hear her? Did you hear the story? Yeah, I, I listened to the whole interview. I couldn't believe it. Then you had the politician on yeah. after who's really... Who's trying to get it to become a felony. I, you, hit, you, hit on, you hit an official, Yeah, and it's not a misdemeanor. It's assault, and it's a big... Why, why do you laugh? Well, no, I'm just, it's a shame that we have to have this legislation. And it kind of like bums me out that there's probably going to be a sign not, one day. Because we're not human enough exactly. to be able to just. Like, I, when you go visit somebody in prison, I was told, um, when, you, when you check in, when you check in with the yeah. correctional facilities people, um, there's a big sign behind them that says threatening, harassing, t- blah, blah, blah. A corrections officer or an employee is a felony. Like, they make it and very it, clear. You stay here if you do that. <laughs> That's exactly right. You don't leave. <laughs> That's right. You go on the other side of the yeah. glass. And guess who's not talking crap to the correction <laughs> facility people? We have Ooh. an orange outfit for you <laughs> if you right. want to do that. It's the new black, I've been right. told. Orange is the new black. Yeah, but you, no one's going to talk crap or be mean to these corrections. You no. believe me, you want to, because they treat you like a criminal, even though really? you're not. Oh, it's awful. They're all awful. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's terrible. They treat oh, really? you like, like you're in kindergarten and really? you know, really? walk this way. Or, you know, anyway, so you can see where you, know, you have to have everything's got to be perfect. ID can't be expired, blah, blah, blah. You can see people going to visit their loved ones. They get told no. But there's a big sign threatening her is a felony. So I think this would probably actually work. And I hope the legislature. Did you hear what passed. the shirt she was wearing? Did you hear the end of the? I can't believe that's true. <laughs> it's true. Have you seen the pictures? There's pictures to prove it. I haven't her seen the Her mugshot is right up there. Mom of the year. Mother of the year. Mother of the year. Yeah. Mother of the year. I can't believe that's true. Right. And the fact that she went on Facebook, you know, actually, I, I went was to her. taunting. I went to her Facebook. I had to see it for myself because I saw the actual post. Someone screenshotted it. She's got like one post up. She deleted everything on her Facebook. So 
Um, the woman who hit, the, who threw the punch. Yeah, I'm hoping maybe somebody so, talked a little sense into her. For those of you that are listening to episode 189 that don't know what Hot Shots referring to, I, you probably do. Yeah. On 188, our last show, an umpire from Mississippi who organizes umpires and is herself an umpire for for kids, um, made a you know got got, got essentially assaulted by, got assaulted yes. by a mom over a play at second base. Yep. And so that she was on the show, and if you haven't heard it, you should listen to it. It's episode 189. So the NFL draft has come and gone. God, people love the NFL draft. It's crazy how did much you, people did, love did it. You, see, I am not a huge fan, and I know I should be. I always felt guilty about this on the radio show. I am not a huge fan of the NFL draft for a lot of reasons. Okay. You want, you want some of them? Yeah, of course, because I'm First not a huge all, fan either, but it's, it's probably for different reasons. Well, yeah, you just... Yeah. <laughs> it's sports-related. No, but I mean, it's like, okay, go ahead. You go first. I don't know. I just, it moves slow. Okay. I don't really know these guys that are being drafted, and I get a kick out of the 99% of people out there (laughs) that like pretend that they know who these guys are because they've read an article on ESPN.com or they've seen on YouTube like 90 seconds of video, and now you're some sort of an expert. I don't know who these guys are that are getting drafted. People don't want to admit that. It's a nice story. No, nobody knew admit Especially it. in sports radio. I love admitting it. <laughs> I don't know who they are. <laughs> How? I, but why know, would you? How I, could you? Well, I knew one. I'll get to him in a okay. second. I knew one of the uh, Seahawks draft choices. All right. But I don't know who they are. Yeah, it's nice to watch You know them celebrate and cry and hug their loved ones and sitting in their family sure. or come to the stage, whatever. But after two or three of those, it's all the same. I don't know. I am so much more inclined. Like Thursday night. The Seahawks were drafting ninth, so I paid attention. I was tweeting out, whatever. I yeah. didn't have much to do Thursday night. But Friday night, Brett had a baseball game, had right. a high school baseball game. I I didn't feel even the slightest impulse to record it or anything. Yeah. I just went to the game, to Brett's game. I got on my phone. You kept an eye on it on your yeah, phone. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Hey, they made two choices. Here they are. Right. Heard of him? <laughs> Haven't heard of him. Right. Great. Read the description. <laughs> got a little grade. Hope they he's came, good in three years. <laughs> came home, watched Sports Center. Yeah. Didn't turn it on on Saturday, really. Yeah. I just, it's, it's people, God, and you turn it on, at least on Thursday. I don't know if you saw the, there's like thousands and thousands of people that have gone to Vegas just to be able to stand there and watch Roger Goodell <laughs> come to the, like every 15 minutes, an old guy, a middle-aged guy comes to the microphone and yeah. says, and gets booed. Te- yeah, and get, it says a team selected this guy that you've never heard of. Right. And then he disappears for another 15 minutes. You're standing there in the heat in Las Vegas. Right. Who needs that? I want to be at a table. That's right. I want to be counting cards with a bad shoe. <laughs> I know. I don't know. It's just, it's not that exciting for me. And the people, I mean, as you know, they're all hit and miss. There's no guarantees with anyone. So guarantees, right? Exactly. So you can't. I mean, how Nobody excited knows. are you supposed to get? Well, people. But I love watching. Well, I guess. Yeah, there's one percent of the people. I guess the people that are paid to do it, they probably know these guys. But yeah, you know, right. Okay. What's today's date as we record this? May first. Yep. On on February first, which was how many months ago? That'd be three. Three months ago. Yeah. Twelve. Twelve weeks ago. Okay. Charles Cross. Yes. If you had said to me, who's Charles Qua- Cross? I watch college football. I'm not some schmendrick an old who doesn't watch. Tight, an old tight end for the Niners? or is The that- guy who developed the pen that I got from my bar mitzvah? The Cross <laughs> pen and pencil set? Yeah. Um, would have had no idea. Charles Cross, who is he? No I, I promise you February 1st, I would have no idea. No idea who Boye Mafe is. No idea who Abe Lucas is. No idea who Kobe Bryant, the other Kobe Bryant is. 
No idea who Tariq Woolen is. No idea Tyreek Smith. No idea Bo Melton. No idea Derek Young. No idea. Yep. No clue. Now, if you said Kenneth Walker III, the running back at Michigan State, I would have said have absolutely plenty of knowledge about him because I had a major bet on Michigan in the Michigan-Michigan <laughs> State game. And how do you Mich- do against Michigan? Michigan was up four touchdowns, <laughs> and this guy decided to run for five after that. Right. They could. Uh, this guy was running around like he was Earl Campbell. Right. So I knew intimately who Kenneth Walker was because okay. he cost me a shitload of oh, money. God. Thank a you. Four touchdowns. Wow. Whatever it was, I think he had four that. Maybe he had five that okay. game. All he right. was unstoppable. But no, you're saying Michigan was up four touchdowns. Yeah, I was. I, I was counting my money. Oh I spent it. I got in the <laughs> car and I went. And I bought myself a new pair of shoes. Right. And then I, as I was trying the shoes on, I'm like, look it up. And Kenneth Walker for oh. 50. Kenneth Walker for 80. Kenneth Walker. I mean, it was unbelievable. So I knew who he was. Gotcha. But I don't know these guys. But short of and, you being a degenerate gambler, you would not have known who that is. No, Michigan, Michigan State. Yeah. If you're a college football all right, fan, all right. you watch that game. I mean, he was a uh, he was a Heisman Trophy candidate for a while. That's right. He yeah. didn't make it to the top for three or five, but he was right in the mid. I mean, he, but these other guys, and that's I'm not saying that that's bad. That these guys are bad, that the drafts, if you love the draft, I'm not trying to sour anybody. I hope people don't think right. I'm trying to sour people. You don't begrudge anyone for watching it. I just can't it. sit here and watch it yeah. for hours and hours. And there's way too much time between picks. I told you this. I told somebody this. The horse races. There's too much time between horse races. Right. There's like three minutes between greyhound races. That's the best. <laughs> I, I, maybe I have ADHD. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think Undiagnosed? you do. I, no, I don't. Well, I don't I, but I think we all do because everything's just instant now. On demand, you can get anything you want at any time. So, yeah, I don't think people have time to sit there and watch the whole thing. I don't begrudge people who love this yeah, stuff. I don't either. And thought it was great. There were tons of trades. It was exciting from that standpoint. I just can't sit in front of a television for hours and hours and watch this. Yeah. I just get I get a little bit bored. Now, having said that, let me tell you what I think about the draft. <laughs> All right, give us your expert. By the way, my just, expert analysis. Oh, and the grades. Oh, oh the grades. There's yeah. nothing worse than the grades, and that's why I'm going to read you five. Okay. <laughs> Literally, there's nothing worse than grades. Why? Because nobody knows, and these grades are all wrong. And five years from now, you look back at the grades, and you and the people that got Fs should have gotten A's, and the people that got A's should have gotten Fs. Yeah, and then nobody you, has any idea. And this like, is a nonsense. One expert will give a B plus, one a C minus. Right? They're I got all, them okay, here. All right, for all right. You want the Seahawks grades? Please let me know. Do They're, you want them? I'm sure, they all line up. Mel Kuyper gave the Seahawks a B plus. Ooh, good. You can stop. Do you? That's it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm good with Do that. Do you one. want to know why? <clears throat> why he gave them a B plus? Because they should have drafted a quarterback. Okay. So he, wait. Didn't, he didn't agree with them passing on all these quarterbacks all the time. He okay. thought like on second day or third day, they should have drafted a quarterback. All right. CBS gave him a, an A minus. Okay. Pretty good. Yahoo gave him a B. Sports Illustrated gave him a C plus. All right. I always dislike, this is Sports Illustrated. I always dislike a team that's bottoming out from a personnel standpoint trying to break in potential left tackles. Hmm. It's a position like cornerback and quarterback where players can develop bad habits when they're overwhelmed, and the Seahawks' offense is going to be overwhelmed this year, mm. fairly consistently, consistently C+. PFF, pro football focus, who at some point somewhere down the line, everybody decided it was the gospel. That's right. I'm not sure where that happened right. or how that happened. They gave him an A-. minus. They said that the guy, Charles Cross, that they got, even though he's the third left tackle taken in the ninth pick, yeah. their number one offensive tackle. Oh, right. Good. He was the best. He's an incredible pass protector and not he's no schlep at run blocking and they like Kenneth Walker. What they called Kenneth Walker, listen to this. 
Pro Football Focus. Kenneth Walker is one of the best pure runners to come out of college football in the last five years. Last season, Walker was one of two FBS running backs since 2017. He was the second guy since 2017 to average, like you did at Issaquah, four yards rushing after contact per attempt. Oh, wow. Only two guys since 2017 have averaged four or more yards per carry after contact. Okay. The only other running back to have accomplished that, yeah. Rashad Penny in oh, 2017. <laughs> Unreal. I was just going to bring him Rashad up. Penny. I mean, Chris Carson, Rashad Penny. Are we ready to move on? Is that why they got this guy? Well, you know, this was the most con- for for Seahawk fans that are listening to this. This was the most controversial pick of the whole the whole lot. Oh, People yeah. did not. This guy was unbelievable in college, and I'll, at least 50 percent of Seahawks fans were like, no. I know. They didn't want a running back. All those Rashad Penny lovers who keep they didn't want a tweeting back. me about how good Penny's going to be. He's going to be in the we've, Hall of Fame. We've got so many other holes. Why are we? Yeah. Uh, well, let me answer that. Okay. Can I answer that? Are people Do people have amnesia? Do people not forget that Rashad Penny can stay healthy? Right. Like for four weeks a year? Right. And that Chris Carson may not ever return from a very serious neck injury. Yeah. And by like the sixth week of the season next year, you could be d- down to D- DJ Dallas or whoever to D Dallas right. or who, whoever you got. Travis Homer. Yeah. D- d- do people need me to remind them that they are literally a snap of a fingers away from needing a yeah. running back? And now you've got the best running back in college football last year and the best since 2017 at yards after the, <laughs> after the first contact. Uh, I don't have any problem with them picking a running back. I don't know why everybody's all up up in arms. Uh, I told you, people love, they think Penny's the greatest running back who's ever it's lived. It's not because of Penny, no, that's I, why. I think they think that we're good at running back. Did you not? Yes, yes, they did do. Did you not see what Rashad Penny did last year, yes, Mitch? Yes, they do. At the end of the year, it was 385 yards and four guys. I mean, they, they love Penny. Believe me, they all came after me on Twitter when I do said Do they I love him overrated. when he's in the trainer's room in the middle of games <laughs> for four quarters? I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't know. I, I'm just off of running back. I really thought that we'd have some sort of view or vision of what the quarterback position might look like for the Seahawks. Maybe they'd trade for someone or they'd draft. I don't like the future well, of you, the quarterback Well, you position. listen to Jason Lockenfora, our guest on this show, okay. and he'll tell you that he does not buy for a second that this is going to be Drew Locke versus Geno. That's what I that wanted to hear. Somebody else is okay, coming. Good. That's he what says, I wanted. there's nothing you can do to convince him. Yeah. There's no way those two are going to be fighting it out for the head, for okay. the first job. It's either Baker Mayfield oh. or it's uh, Nick Foles or it's somebody else. Okay. Not the, the guy in Green Bay that's the understudy to, to uh, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. Okay. He said, you can't convince me. I'm sorry. I'm giving a little bit of the interview. That's away. Right. You can't convince me that this is really true luck versus Geno. That's what I wanted to hear. There's going to be somebody else. Okay, good. I thought maybe at draft time it would happen or, you know. But I guess they obviously thought that all the quarterbacks were shit sandwiches. Yeah. Because they had five chances to draft. This guy, Malik Willis, that every again, another, everyone wanted him for some a, reason. Another guy that nobody <laughs> knew on February on February one, yeah. that everybody knew on April on May one. Turns out he's God's gift to football. Who everybody knew? said he was like, this guy is this guy's like, he's going to go high in the first. He was available in the third, fourth round, <laughs> yeah. and they didn't take him. They passed. Yeah. What does that mean? What do they think? What do they think of that guy? Yeah. Did you ever think of Russell Wilson when you saw them take a left tackle in the first round? Did you think of Russell Wilson at all going, really, guys, I was here a decade and you couldn't have gotten me? I've seen that whole thing on social media. I guess I don't I don't hear I don't hear why the left tackle 
is such an issue when when I think they've had a good one for the last three or four or five years. Okay, so D- Dwayne Brown was he's a Pro Bowler. Yeah, a little older at the end, but okay, yeah, fine, a little yeah. older at the end. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, above average. It's not like for sure. It's not like yeah. that Russell Wilson's running around with a bad left tackle for fifteen years. He hasn't. It would have been nice to have one with him the same year or maybe the year after Russell. You know, someone he could have grown old with with the Seahawks. You know, but. I don't know. It just made me laugh that as soon as they get rid of Russell, oh, we, we got to protect our quarterback now. I mean, we got to go out and get two offensive line. Again, I'll say that, but rounds. they had Dwayne Brown. Yeah. Two years ago, when they had Dwayne Brown, they didn't need a left tackle. Yeah. I know. Well, I'm just saying, he, there was a lot of complaining from him about his protection. So maybe not left tackle, but maybe some more O linemen right. in the draft. But anyway, I just thought it was kind of funny. It kind of felt like they were trolling him a bit. What I will say about it, and again, I am not going to be, if you are. If you are joining this podcast for like unfiltered analysis from me, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give you the note table, the guys who follow it, Brady and Joe. I'll give you Jason Lockenfor, and I'll give you the coach of the two guys. Yeah. I mean, they, they can talk about those guys better than I can. You're not going to get it. What I'll, I'll say a couple things about the draft, okay. and, we'll, and then we'll get to the interviews. I'll say a couple things. What I like most about it, <clears throat> you've heard me say that without knowing any of the guys any year, it feels like that John Schneider and Pete Carroll always are kind of cute. Try to get really cute with the draft. Gotcha. They're always kind of trading back and always. adding picks. Yeah. They're always drafting guys and everybody goes, who? Yeah. Wait. And they they always had guys like rated higher than everybody else and lower their surprise picks. Yeah. The, the, the best was a, a converted offensive line. Yeah. They I don't want to hear converted. Projects. Ever. Oh, you project. know. <laughs> Richard right. Sherman used to be a receiver. Now he's playing corner. They always had this kind of like. Yeah. Cutesy. For like sure. off the wall yeah. view. of out, Kind of outthinking everybody or right, trying right. to. Because they're, yeah. they're the smartest people That's in the room. That's exactly right. Yeah. But, but. And in so doing, a lot of times they drafted like what I would call what everybody calls non-premium positions. So the pre, I, I think what they mean by premium positions, you hear people say premium positions. Quarterback is a premium position. Sure. Left tackle is a premium position. Right tackle, guard, center, not. Okay. I think now wide receiver might be. Edge rusher is. Sure. Interior defensive linemen are not. Linebackers are not mm. unless they're an edge rusher. Corners are. Okay. And safeties are not. <laughs> And the Seahawks have – so if you go by that definition of premium players, yeah. for years they've been drafting the least the, – the lowest percentage with their higher picks, the lowest percentage of premium position players. They'll draft a tight end here or there, or yeah. a guard, or a center, when everybody else is drafting premium. What I like about this draft is it looked very – and I don't know these guys, but – it looked very straightforward. A little more serious. Not serious, but like I know what you're saying. Conventional. Conventional. There you go. Yeah. You know, traditional. Yeah. They stayed at nine. They didn't trade down. Could have. Yep. Because 11, 12, and 13 were all teams that traded up. So they could have traded down from nine. They stayed at nine. They took a left tackle. Right. Right? That's what you Like do. a franchise left Foundation tackle. Foundation player. Then they took an edge rusher from Minnesota in the second round. Then they took another tackle. They took two corners after that. They took two wide receivers, another edge rusher. It just seemed like they played it. I'll give you a, uh, this is probably a bad, a poker, a poker analogy. Okay. Uh, hold them. Poker analogy. Okay. They weren't bluffing and fooling around and yeah. raising when they didn't have anything. And they just played it, you know, close to the vest it seems to me that this was more a more predictable Seahawks draft that I kind of liked. Okay. Having said that, this may be the worst group of guys I've ever drafted. <laughs> well, I'm serious. I, I don't have any idea. Well, no one has any idea. Yeah. But it just seemed like they were... I see what you're saying, yeah. They weren't trying to be cute. Yeah. The, the cuteness, it's funny because it worked early on, 
you know, the undrafted, you know, the Doug Baldwins and the, you know, Cam, what did Cam Chancellor, a third round, you know, so it worked for him. No, Cam Chancellor was late. Fifth, maybe? Yeah. Russell I mean, Wilson's, you know, but it worked for him early. So I think they kept trying to find that lightning in a bottle again and you know, again it's funny. and again. And it just never It's funny. Worked. Their first draft choice, you say it worked for them. The first draft choice was Russell Okun, left tackle. High in the draft. I don't think they traded down. They took a left tackle. Yeah. Then they took Earl Thomas later in the first round when safeties were starting to go off the board, like later in the first. I don't know. I don't know that cute ever really worked. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't consider drafting. Well, maybe if you say, all right, they drafted Richard Sherman in the fifth round or sixth round because he was a former receiver. Mm -hmm. If you think that's cute, I don't know that I would define that as cute. What I'm about just, the tiny quarterback that they drafted? That worked out. Nobody thought Russell Wilson could play in the NFL. But he was drafted right in the third round. The, yeah, third, I think. Yeah, I thought, yeah. to me that that's a little cute. The cute that I'm talking about is trading down. Then trading down again and then drafting Malik McDowell. Right. Or trading down okay. and going for Jermaine Effetti when and then Mel Kuyper, whoever comes on the screen and goes, most teams had him in the third round or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. I just I just didn't want that anymore. Gotcha. I'm tired of that. Yeah. I'm tired of that. Okay. All right. So that being said, what grade do you give him? I don't have a grade. <laughs> I grade on the curve. I don't have a grade. That's right. Let's see here. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, the other thing that I'll say is I think. I think the pivotal picks, I said this to Slickhawk the other day on the patron show, I think the pivotal picks, and I thought this before the draft, not coming out of the draft, okay. were the, the 40th and the 41st pick. They had 9, yeah. 40, and 41, okay. and then 72, okay? Yep. You know, at 9 overall, y you probably should do pretty well at 9 overall. That's You're getting the ninth guy yeah. of all college players Eligible play, eligible for the NFL players, right? To me, you're it's probably, a guaranteed starter. He has to You're start. probably going to do well at nine. Yeah. Hard to mess that up. And then in the fourth and fifth and sixth rounds, they're all crapshoots, right? For sure. You may or may not. Third round, we'll put our hand over for a second. But then you get to the second round. You're getting the 40 and the 41st guy. Yeah. Those are the, to me, those are the critical ones. Because those guys could be out of the league in three years. Right. And they could be in the Pro Bowl. Three <laughs> That's years. right. Yeah. They're that good. So they went running back with one of them. Yeah. And they went with this defensive edge rusher from Minnesota. Yeah. With the other. To me, that those two guys will kind of determine in five years how we look back at the 22 draft. How'd they do? They should do well with nine. Yes. They may or may not do with well with fourth, fifth, and sixth round, seventh rounders. But those two second-round draft choices are kind of the swing guys. Right. They can go either way. I want to see how they do. And, yeah, I have to wait five years for these guys to be good? Is that what you're saying? No. You just I, want to look back in five years. I, I just, no, you'll know, you'll know probably a lot sooner. A lot than sooner, that. okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. I don't know. Wait, who doesn't need an edge rusher? Let's go. Let's go, Lawrence Taylor. Send him. Let's, I'm sick of Jamal... Adams rushing the quarterback. Can we get? Are there any? Rush, he didn't even rush the quarterback, and he was hurt the whole year. <laughs> is there any? By the way, are there any linemen who know how to rush a quarterback in this cockamamie league anymore? Or do we need oh, to God. send our safety every time? You I'm don't ready. have to send your safety. Let's go. You got other guys for that. And Kenneth Walker the third. Excited. I, I get a text message from a friend that said, "Hey, if you want to get a big tall boy, go watch his. Go watch it. Kenneth Walker's highlights against Michigan." I literally got that text. Before, I just told you before I talked to you. Yeah. He's like, you're not going to believe this guy, what he did against Michigan. Hot shot. <laughs> I'm going to say something to you, and you're going to think I'm joking. But okay. I'm, I'm going to say something dead serious. All right. 
The Levy family did not eat for four days <laughs> after the Michigan-Michigan State game because of Kenneth Walker. Yeah. We all starved. We had no food left in the in the uh, we had no money left in the food budget. You're the one That's that, what he did to us. You're the one that, that got in bed with Harbaugh. That's Who's he, Harbaugh? Isn't he the coach at Michigan? Yeah, but yeah. How, how, what do you mean? Oh, you're betting on his team? Yeah, how did I do that? That's what I'm saying. You're the one that got in bed with. You made a song about the guy. How else was that going to go? You cur- you're He was yourself. up like three touchdowns. Crazy. And get, I think getting points. I'll have to go back uh, and watch that. He was great. Kenneth yeah, Walker was That's great. what I heard. All right, three interviews and then uh, other stuff segment. Time for a visit with Dan Black, the president of Zeke's Pizza. It's springtime at Zeke's. How you doing over there, Dan? Yeah, hey, Mitch. Yeah, springtime's fun because our patios are opening up. And so it's always fun to drink beer and eat pizza on a nice patio on a nice day. And so there's more of that going on all the time. And it's fun. Would you say that most of your locations have outdoor seating? Not most of our locations, but certainly most of our full service restaurants, which we call pizza pubs. So, you know, if you're going to a Zeke's that's got a full bar, spirits, craft beer, all that stuff, there's likely to be outdoor seating. And you guys continue to grow like a weed. We've talked about Spokane a little bit. We haven't spoken of Mill Creek, White Center coming soon, and and a couple of more. Tell us about those. Yeah, Spokane opened. We talked about that a little bit. Mill Creek opened and is doing well. White Center's coming up really soon. And then beyond that, we've actually got three more that are reasonably close. We've got Seward Park, Renton, and Duval in that order. And, you know, more deals coming all the time. And you're hearing from Mitch Unfiltered listeners I'm hearing through the grapevine? Yeah, that was pretty exciting. We, we've we actually got a couple of leads, no deals closed yet, but specifically that came from Mitch Unfiltered oh, wow. and heard about us there, which is obviously a huge stoker, but I'm a little bit worried that my invoices <laughs> are going to go up now. They are going to go up. They are going to go up. All right. I think, I think that I've decided when I don't go with original cheese, like my mom's favorite, Cherry Bomb is my fave on the Zeke's Pizza menu. Where is it in, in the in the pecking order? Well, first, we still got to get your mom up here sometime and cut it into squares for her like she's used to it. Is it Camille's? You got it. Camille's. Yeah. yeah. Um, in Florida. But you're not alone on the Cherry Bomb. It's definitely one of my favorites, and it's outside of cheese and pepperoni probably the most popular one and it's certainly the one people talk about the most so yeah cherry bomb is cannot go wrong with that one what are you drinking these days from zeke's yeah this time of year i kind of transition you know we order a lot for delivery and i i use zeke's for my grocery store for beer we have better beer than you can get at the grocery store so when i order i just i order enough for the next couple weeks and stuff that i can throw in the cooler and stuff like that i'm really excited for you guys you've been a great partner back in the radio days and now with unfiltered zeke's pizza homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Hello. Hey, is this Charles? Yes, sir. Charles, John Schneider with the Seattle Seahawks, buddy. How you doing? Oh, great. How about you? Good, man. We're getting ready to select you right here, okay? Yes, sir. All right. You ready to come on up to Seattle and kick some ass? Yes, sir. All right. Here's Coach Carroll, okay? Congratulations, man. Together again, ladies and gentlemen, Brady Henderson, ESPN.com, Seahawks insider, Joey fan, win bet in Vegas. Another draft, another NFL draft has come and gone. The Seahawks no table for this episode 189. Let me welcome you both boys and first say, and I think I think Joe will second this, Brady, amazing work. Anybody who doesn't follow you on Twitter, that's a Seahawks fan, I question the veracity 
of their Seahawks fandom because you did an amazing job bringing bringing through the inside information and everything that was going on over those Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So good job. Job well done. Thank you. That's very, very nice of you. I'm uh, a little, what's it called, verklempt over here. Uh, <laughs> I agree. I will, very kind I will of second you guys. that and add on top of that. I mean, my I remember my two years in the Seahawks beat, it was so obvious that Brady was more tapped in than anyone else. And while as another beat reporter, you try to make inroads and, and get whatever information you can, I just knew if I was going to be able to compete with Brady, which is hard to do, I don't mean this in like a rough and tumble sense, but you're trying to do a similar job. And it was my avenue to success was going to be in a very different uh, fashion than Brady's. And so uh, much respect to you, sir. Another really information, good. the insights, the the sources, the all of it is, uh, but it's just par for the course for you, sir. Really, really well, good. Why do you call him sir? Why, what's with all the sirs? He doesn't deserve that. That's how well, I don't deserve all the praise. Yeah, let alone sir. I don't deserve all that's the praise. No, no, that's no. just how I, yes, sir. Yes, that's just how I roll. <laughs> okay. Well, it was a great job, Brady. A lot better than your prediction for who the Seahawks pick was gonna be. Uh yeah. but we'll but we'll get there. You know, I had to I can't not throw in a shot, <laughs> a little, a little shot. Let's start with the big storylines. Joe, I, I figure that the two main ones for the, you know, the masses of Seahawks fans would be A. They had all these picks. They didn't take one quarterback. And B, it was um, a much more kind of traditional draft, not a lot of trading back. They took premier or premium position guys. They chose at nine the left tackle. It wasn't as cutesy as a John Schneider, Pete Carroll draft should be. So those would those would be the two storylines. You can either talk about those two things or uh, give us some of your own, if you don't mind, Joe. Yeah, I think it is by far the number one storyline because we're so used to saying, well, we have an idea what the Seahawks should do, but we just know for a fact that's not what they're going to do because they just never go down common thought. And I think it was nice for everyone to see them say, Hey, we've got a lot of needs and we've got a lot of needs at very important positions and to double dip at corner, to double dip at edge rusher, to get a franchise left tackle, uh, and then go back and get another tacklist or potentially in one draft, you're getting bookend starters to anchor your offensive line. I think I'm someone who doesn't believe in the value of running back position, but you know what, when you have a team that is going to go into this season with probably a below replacement level quarterback or right at replacement level, if we're using like a war metric, well, okay, you're going to have to rely on a running game and you need all the Rashad Penny, Chris Carson insurance you can find. And maybe we never see Chris Carson again. I think that's a, a possibility as well. And so when everyone who tells you this guy is potentially the best running back in the class, it's hard to really get up in arms. And I'm someone who I disagree with the pick and I still disagree with the pick. I'm just not going to die on the hill and say, you fan who is really excited about or the Seahawks clearly really excited about this pick of, uh, of Kenneth uh, Kenneth Walker from Michigan State, I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong because I don't. I I, I get it. I, I genuinely do. I love that they didn't take a quarterback out of feeling like they had to take a quarterback. That to me is a pretty good sign. They didn't see any of these guys like many other teams didn't as not just potential franchise guys, but likely franchise guys. Um, and then finally. Um, my takeaway is that you saw AJ Brown traded on the first round or first night of the NFL draft on Thursday night. 
to the Philadelphia Eagles for a first round pick. Uh, and he got the brand new contract as well. $100 million, $57 million guaranteed. Brady astutely pointed out on, on social media that, but get the bell, Mitch, get the bell. Brady pointed out on Twitter and uh, Brady, Brady pointed Anderson. out on Twitter that that's the floor given the numbers and the production from their first three years of a DK Metcalf contract. And while it does seem like things are kumbaya and DK is not looking for a way out and whatever, this is a Jamal Adams situation all over again. We went through this song and dance last year and they got it done and they continue to, even if it takes a little while to get these things done and I'm, oh, there's no panic involved, but it is a storyline until it's not a storyline anymore. So that's a long way to answer of saying it's a very productive, successful weekend of the Seahawks. I think everyone should be far more positive and optimistic than otherwise. Yeah. And I, I'm actually, I'm going to hop on my high horse here real quick. I, I, I really like how Joe analyzed that because you know, the, the Kenneth Walker pick, it's a pick that not everybody agrees with, but, and this is just a quick aside before I, I get into my, my thoughts here on, on what they did, but look, it's it's foolish of us, me, you, anybody who's watching them, who's not in in the NFL, who's not a professional talent evaluator, to say with any sort of authority that yeah they screwed up this pick. Like you can say yeah I, I think that that's a little high. I question the value of taking a running back in the second round, but um, I, I think Joe is viewing it the, the way I would view it, which is yeah you can second guess, uh, but you know try to I, I think the the best way to consume this and to follow this is to try to understand the thinking behind it, as opposed to just reflexively passing judgment on it immediately without knowing what the team was thinking. Anyways, the, all right, getting off my high horse to answer the question here, both of you guys are right. This was probably the most straightforward draft uh, that they've had in a while in terms of, we knew what the needs were going in. I mean, outside of quarterback, which depending on who you were, you, you may have realized that, yeah, it's just not a very good quarterback draft and they like their guys enough to not feel like they have to force that pick there. So that was, it was not a surprise to, to me and probably not to, to other people that they didn't take a quarterback, at least they didn't, that they didn't take one early, but you know, when you look at, you know, the NFL, I think NFL.com does these just great little bios of every guy, every draft prospect. And there's usually a little range of like where they're projected to go. And if you look at all the Seahawks picks, you know, in a lot of drafts, there's, there's maybe a guy where they take in the third round and he's fourth, fifth round or something like that. Typically with these picks that they made, generally it was guys that were projected to go uh, in the area that the Seahawks took them in. Now I'm not going to sit here and say that, that that's good or bad because as we've seen NFL teams themselves disagree on, you know, how prospects are rated and I think the Jordan Brooks pick is a really good example of with the way draft analysts see it. That's not always in line with how NFL teams see it. You know, every draft analyst had Patrick Queen over Jordan Brooks. Seahawks obviously had it the other way. So did several other teams. So I'm not going to praise them for, for getting guys where they were projected to go for the same reason. I wouldn't necessarily criticize them for not doing that. But at any rate, this was a draft that kind of fell in line with the way that a lot of analysts and observers uh, saw it going and thought it should go for the Seahawks. Only one trade, as you mentioned, Mitch, that was not for lack of trying and not for lack of interest. They there. Here's an interesting first round scenario. They were sitting at number nine. They wanted to take Charles cross because the other guys that, that they felt like would have been worthy of that number nine overall pick and would have filled a need uh, at that spot. He was the last guy there. I believe the jets approached them uh, with a trade offer of moving up from 10 to nine. And the thought there was that the jets were worried about another team that was trying to trade up with the Seahawks to try to jump the jets and trade into that number nine overall pick. I, I really wonder if it was Philadelphia 
figuring that the Jets were going to take a receiver at 10. And again, I don't even know if Philadelphia was on on the phone with the Seahawks, but I think the Jets were worried about that. So they wanted to trade into nine, I believe, for a receiver. The deal did not go through. I believe it's because John Schneider could not get assurance that the Jets weren't going to take a tackle at that spot. And again, the Seahawks, Charles Cross was, I believe, the last guy that they really wanted to take there. So I I also heard that they tried to move into 28. So they tried to to trade back into the first round uh, with the Packers at number 28. And that didn't happen. So, yeah, only one trade, but that was not for a lack of interest or effort. I got all kinds of things. I don't know how I'm going to keep my mind straight and keep it somewhat organized. But you guys both said a lot there. I want to follow up, Brady, what you just said, because I I read where they were trying to perhaps move back into the first round again at 28, like you point out. I also read the ESPN report overnight that said they were trying to move up in the second round. They were at 40 and 41 that they wanted a higher second round pick somewhere at the top of the second round. Do you have any information that suggests who it was they were trying to get at 28 or who they were trying to get really high up in the second round. I'm assuming it wasn't the two guys that they got at 40 and 41. There were somebody else that they felt like would be off the board by the time 40 and 41 came along. Yeah. So I, well, I think that was Josina Anderson that reported that, that they were, have made, she's no longer with ESPN. So that's why I was just making sure we were talking about the same thing, but um, yeah, she, she reported that, that they had made calls about possibly trying to move up from their 40 and 41. Right. Yeah. Who do they want? Do we know? Who'd they, I, I, who'd they want at 28? What well, you just said, they were trying to get into 28. Who'd they want? Yeah, I, I, I think it was a pass rusher. I don't know the specific specific player. I don't know if it was the guy that Green Bay took. I think they took an interior rusher there. I think the, the next few picks, there were a couple safeties and, and something else that I don't think the Seahawks were, were going after there. But I had heard it was a pass rusher that they were trying to go after. I don't know who it was. There was a Penn State guy that went, I think, early in the second round before they picked at 40 could have been him. I, I don't know that it was Boye Mafe, the guy that they ended up picking at 40. I, I, I don't know that it's not, but uh, could have potentially did, been Karloftis, right? He, yeah, he was a pass rusher who went in that range, but I heard that it was not him. Okay, cool. No, good my, my guess, just knowing John Schneider, the little that I do after, after all these years is that if they were trying to move up to 28 to draft the guy that they ended up drafting at 40, that would have leaked out because he would have wanted us, they would have wanted us to know that they got at 40 a guy that they were trying to go after at 28. That would have been a feather in their cap. And since we don't hear that, uh, my guess is it was somebody different than who they try. I'm just being, I'm being private investigator. I'm being lawyer, attorney Mitch Levy here, and I, I shouldn't be. Let's go back to the quarterback. Uh, Joe, you just heard uh, Brady talk about, and you talked about no quarterback taken. I spent a lot of my life that I'd like to have back reading about Malik Willis. <laughs> my God, uh, this is why I don't want to hear about stuff like this. I just, I just, uh, just bring me the draft. Uh, oh, for days and days and weeks and weeks, he's rising up the charts. He might go high in the first round. He's the guy. He's the guy that everybody wants. To, they're going to be jockeying for me. And then every team passed on him like four times. So I don't want to hear about Malik Willis. I had Jason Lockenfora. I have Jason Lockenfora on this show. And in his segment, I'll tell you guys what he said. In his segment, he says, quote, I refuse to believe that it's truly going to be Drew Locke versus Geno for the starting quarterback job in Seattle. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be Baker Mayfield. I don't know if it's going to be the... uh, the uh, the backup to um, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, he mentioned. Nick Foles, he mentioned. He said, I just, 
Until I see it, I don't believe that they're going to the gate with a Geno versus Drew Locke competition for the quarterbacking job. Do you think they're going to the gate with those two guys, Joe? There will be a third guy brought in. To me, it makes so much sense that it would be Baker Mayfield. It just depends on what the price is. I know that there is, you know, the contract number would be something that they would have to figure out with Cleveland. But without having the inside sources and whatever, I, I don't want to speculate on where I think it might be. I, I would also be surprised if they decided that they felt so good about Drew Locke and Geno Smith. And yes, Geno Smith had some good moments last year spelling Russell Wilson when he was out with the finger injury. But like, how good were they? And Drew Locke, okay, you had some upside coming out of Missouri, but and, you know, you could say he was dealt a bad hand in Denver, but how much of it is on him? I mean, he was was really bad. So, yeah, I think there will be a third person brought in. I'm cur- I am curious who it is. I just don't want to begin to feel like I have any sense of, you know, knowing exactly who that Brady, person will be. Brady, I, you, yeah. you think a third guy's coming in? Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with Jason and I agree with Joe as well. I mean, it's and, and Pete Carroll has even said, and he didn't really offer any clues as, as to who it would be, but he said that they, I think it was at the owner's meetings, he said that even if they were to re-sign Gino, which was the expe- expectation all along, that they would want to add a third guy. Now, he didn't specify veteran versus draft pick, but um, he said that they wanted to add a third guy there. And yeah, I, I agree. I, it's just, that why not? It, I mean, there's guys out there, potentially guys that you may not have to to pay a ton or give up a ton for. I mean, Baker Mayfield is, is the most interesting one just because he's got the most starting experience and he led his team to the playoffs a couple of years ago. And I think I've said this before on the show, like he struggled last year, but you could reasonably say that a, a good amount of his struggles were due to the fact that he was playing through a shoulder injury that required surgery. It's just a matter of what, what's the price going to be. There's no way no way in hell that the Seahawks would do that if it meant taking on his entire $19 million guaranteed salary. I don't even think they would do it for half of that. So Browns are kind of in a tough spot because they've already signed. I mean, they obviously uh, made the trade for Deshaun Watson. They signed Jacoby Brissett to be his backup. It really seems like the bridge has burned, has been burned with Baker Mayfield, but they're sitting there with a guaranteed $19 million salary. And I think other teams are looking at that saying, why are we going to, give up something in a trade and then take on that salary when it's pretty obvious that their Cleveland is eventually going to have to release him if they don't find a trade partner. So if you could do Baker Mayfield for three, four, five million dollars, that's doable, but I don't know anything more than that. Let me say this. I think Cleveland would have to take at least, at least half that salary. Now the Geno Smith contract is interesting because it's a, it's a one year, $3.5 million deal. There's three and a half million in incentives that could push it to seven, but only 500,000 guaranteed. So that is by no means a, a, an amount of guaranteed money that would preclude them from doing anything else at quarterback uh, that they want, uh, including, you know, adding Baker Mayfield or somebody else for a few million dollars. I promised myself guys about 25 years ago. And I remember having a conversation with the program director at KJR that hired me in late 94, early 95. And I said to him, Tom, I will never, ever go on the air. So don't ask me to do it and pretend that I know these guys in the draft. Because the truth is, is on February 15th, I didn't know any of them. And from February 15th to May 1st, I don't know. I have no idea most of these guys and where they played. And I, yeah, I can watch YouTube video like the rest of everybody, but that doesn't tell me anything about the players. So Brady, what everybody wrote was that there were three left tackles. 
that were premier kind of franchise left tackles and then a huge drop-off. There was a guy from North Carolina State, a guy from Alabama, and the guy from Mississippi State that the Seahawks got at nine. There was some debate, depending upon where you looked, as to which of the three was one, what order they were in terms of their productivity, depending upon who you asked, which I found interesting. And I'm just wondering, yeah, they got the third of the three because they got the guy that was left. The other two were gone. Where was, do we know, where was Cross on their list amongst the three? Do you know that? Yes, from, from what I understand, he was their second guy. Second. Uh, so, yeah, so behind Iki Iquanu from North Carolina State and ahead of Evan Neal from Alabama. Now, as you said, a lot of the pre-draft analysts, they had it either Neal or Iquanu is one and two. So in, in some order, those guys were one and two. And then generally Cross, I think in most, the most draft analysts I saw had him three some of them I, I think some had him too so again that just goes to show it's different flavors uh, but the Seahawks had him at number two and I believe one reason for that was because this is a a new offensive line coach Andy Dickerson a new you know second year coordinator I think they want to run more of zone running concepts as opposed to the power concepts that would require you know that would it makes sense to have a bigger guy they're just bigger offensive linemen in general Evan Neal is I think 30 40 pounds heavier than Charles Cross so maybe he would have made sense for them in the old regime or made sense for other teams that run more of a power system I think Cross one reason why they liked him over Evan Neal just the body type I think fits better with what they want to do and so and here's where it gets interesting so I believe that there was only five guys that they really would have felt good about drafting at number nine. And, and I think that, Who yeah, are well, they? I think, I think that excludes Trayvon Walker and Aiden Hutchinson because they knew that those guys would be gone by that. So but that's I think seven. it was, so that's, but that's seven and they're picking nine. So there's a chance right. that all seven guys, including the two that you just mentioned are gone. The three, the three tackles. Yes. The three tackles. Yes. Those and, two and guys two- are five Stingley. Yes, Stingley. Six. Yes, I, I, I really wondered if Stingley was their type of guy, but I, but I have since heard that yeah, they very much liked him and Sauce Gardner. That's um, it. Yeah, and I, I really do not think that they would have drafted Kayvon Thibodeau uh, at number nine. I think they just had concerns about the personality, and so look at how the board felt. Obviously, Hutchinson and and Walker uh, went at the top, and then the two corners went, and then two of the three tackles went by I think the seventh pick. And so they were sitting, the Falcons were sitting there at number eight and it's like, what are they going to do? So it it was a huge deal for the Seahawks uh, when Atlanta took a receiver there. Now the Seahawks may have, I think they may have viewed some of those receiver, at least one or maybe multiple uh, receivers in this draft as being, you know, talent wise worthy of that pick, but they just weren't going to draft a receiver there. So I think realistically of guys they thought could be to them, uh, it could be there for them at nine. It was the five guys. So they were very fortunate that Atlanta went receiver at eight as opposed to tackle. Joe, you mentioned at the top your reaction to the Kenneth Walker uh, draft at, at number 40 or 41. And I saw it on, on social media. Nobody has, by the way, uh, a more outspoken, lively crowd of followers than Joe Fan. And I, I appreciate it. It's a lot different than than my followers, frankly. Uh, you led kind of a, a little bit of vitriol towards that pick, which was fine. I mean, you did say what you just said to us, which is, I I get it. You get it. You don't love the pick, but you get it. I was a little surprised by you and all the group that kind of supported your thought because here I am thinking, Rashad Penny can't stay healthy for three weeks at a time. 
I'm not sure the way they're talking about Chris Carson that he's ever going to play again, whether it be with the Seahawks or anybody else. You could be six weeks into the season for a team that wants to run the ball a lot with uh, Dallas and Travis Homer, if he's still even on the team. Uh, To me, it made, as much as I'd like to see edge and corners and all that stuff and tackles, it it made some sense. They got the best running back in the draft for a team that was stockpiling running backs that that are not durable and un- uncertainty at that position. You want to speak a little a little more in depth about how you felt about that? And I get that. And, and I, I said it on Twitter and I said it at the top of this and I'll say it again. I'm not going to fight anybody on that. My devil's advocate point of view is that this isn't a team that's to me, a running back is sort of a luxury pick. I don't, I don't view a running back as a cornerstone to a franchise out part of a part of from a very select few. And even then, you know, look at what Alvin Kamara did at the end of last season without any semblance of a passing game. You know, this is nowhere near as egregious, but Saquon Barkley being taken in the top five for a giant team that's nowhere near a championship contender. What is Saquon? You're wasting his best year. The running back is such a rapidly depreciating asset compared to other positions in football that if you are spending his best years as this middling team, sort of competitive, sort of not, you know, can beat any team on a given day, but not really a true threat to either win the division or win a championship. And maybe I'm underselling what these Seahawks are going to be capable of. And I will own that should they overachieve to a a great degree of what my expectations are, where I view them as sort of an eight and eight, 500 tops team. Sorry, I guess not eight and eight now with a seven, you know, yeah, nine and eight. Yeah. To me, it's, I say, okay, you drafted this running back, but where does that running back get you? Yes. It makes you probably more competitive in the short term, but what does that ceiling look like? And so that to me is like you buy a nice car before you even have a driver's license it's okay. You can just look at it and you have it and whatever, but it's not being maximized to help get you over any sort of hump. So that's sort of my two cents on it. But I do think what's really important is there wasn't someone there that it felt like, oh my gosh, what are the Seahawks doing? They just passed on that guy at this position that they desperately needed. And that's a huge part of this draft. I tweeted after with the whole list of draft picks that said to me to get an A plus and will they all be A plus picks? No, because you know, but I'm with you, Mitch. Like, I can't, I'm not going to pretend that I know exactly what type of players all of these guys are. But what I appreciate is to me, it's been a little bit tiresome for a lot of people to say it looks like a lot of times the Seahawks feel like they're the smartest guy in the room and they go away from common thought and consensus and whatever. And they do their own thing because it's their board and they're drafting their best player available. And who cares hogwash what any Dale Jeremiah, Mel Kuyper want to say? Well, okay, how is, how is that? How far has that gotten them of late? Not well. Their track record the last five, six years hasn't been very good during the draft. So I think there's something to be said for saying, hey, chalk is okay. Going with the consensus picks is okay. Checking boxes in terms of needs and even double dipping on those needs when the cupboard is bare at corner, the cupboard is bare at edge rush spots. That's okay. So that's a, again, a long winded tangent answer of saying like, I understand everything they did. It all makes a ton of sense. And I think that baseline should mean a lot to a lot of people. Yeah. And, and I, I get the, the issue that some people have with it being early for a running back. I mean, I, I would not, I would never have taken Saquon Barkley in the top five that that is way too early for me. I, I just think the pendulum has swung so far on the running back conversation to where it's, it's, 
it's now extended beyond the first round. It's like, I think at some point it, it's It's got to be acceptable for you to take a running back, especially when you are a running team. And especially when you're a team that has as big a question marks as the Seahawks do Chris Carton's just listen to the way Pete Carroll talks about Chris Carson's uncertainty there. I mean, as we all know, Carroll talks, he is optimistic about everything injuries included. So as, as wishy-washy as he has been with Carson, I think that's pretty telling. And then we all know Penny, the long injury history there. So this pick may not have made sense for other teams. I, I think it made sense for the Seahawks. And look at the the player himself. And, and again, I'm not going to profess to know a ton about this guy, but I know enough to know that he was one of the best players in college football last season. It, it, this He was in the Heisman conversation. This, this was not Kristen Michael 2013, where you know, they take him in the second round, even though he had kind of middling production uh, in college and he was kind of an oddball character that you weren't really sure about, but he was off the charts athletically. Kenneth Walker III is, is very athletic. He ran a 4.38 at the combine, which is phenomenal uh, for a running back. Now you can question how much the actual top end speed is, how important that is for a running back. But this was a guy who was not only athletic, he was hugely, hugely productive in college. And so may not make sense for other teams. I, I understand why the Seahawks did it at 41. And by the way, I'll give you two names here. Jonathan Taylor and Dalvin Cook. Those are both pretty good running backs, right? Yes. First yes. and first and fifth in the NFL in rushing last season. Guess what pick they were taken with? Number 41. 41. Boom. Mm. I think the final point I'll make, and I, I kind of alluded to this before, but I think it's really important that, and I haven't, maybe it's out there and I just haven't seen it. Cause obviously I will admit, I'm, you know, when you're not a beat reporter, it's not my job. I'm not as glued into every single pick, but go back to Jordan Brooks, Jordan Brooks, Patrick Queen. Immediately you have this comparison of if Jordan Brooks doesn't pan out, how, you know, you missed on this guy who was the consensus guy, Dwayne Eskridge and Creed Humphrey, different positions, but Creed Humphrey at a, a much more grave position of need was right. There. It's not revisionist history. That's not, oh, well, hindsight's 2020. That was on the day that pick was made. The moment that pick was made and that card was turned in, immediately was they could be very sorry for passing on Creed Humphrey. He was the best center in all of football. It doesn't feel like that exists for this pick. That's not to say someone picked 42 or later won't turn out to be an all pro incredible player because certainly someone will, but it will be a hindsight situation. I don't think as we have this conversation, there's anyone where you say with the second you turn the card in, well, they pass on that guy and they might regret it. I think that's again, to me, a big part of why I'm such a, a a huge fan of what they did throughout this draft. Really good guys. Um, we've kind of ignored a lot of the names because they pick so many guys, which they normally don't do. So I don't want to end this way. Let's end with this Brady um, without going pick by pick and talking about each one individually based on your just reading the tea leaves. I'm not asking you to evaluate these players. Trust me. I am not asking you to evaluate these players. What I'm asking you to do is take what the Seahawks said about these guys, overlay the situation at their positions currently, and try to forecast which guys have a chance to make an immediate an immediate impact as a rotational player. I'm assuming we all should agree that number 40, Boye Mafe, has a chance to come right in and be at least a pass-rushing specialist to get heat on the quarterback with Daryl Taylor on the other side. We talked about Kenneth Walker. We know Cross should be the opening day left tackle. 
Do we think, let's just do quick answers on this, Brady. Do we think okay. that Abe Lucas is going to be the opening day starting right tackle, or is that aggressive? 50-50. He's going to have to beat out Jake Curran. And, uh, you know, Jake Curran, for being an under, undrafted player last year, he, he played, he was not bad there when he had to fill in. And another thing here, Abe Lucas and Charles Cross, for that matter, there's going to be a transition for them coming from, Mike Leach style spread offenses where they were not run blocking a lot, not putting their hand in the ground, always playing out of a two point stance. So with a, with cross, he's going to be there. He's going to be the starting left. Can I interrupt and say that on this show, not only with Jason Lockenfora, Joe fan and Brady Henderson on this episode, 189 is the offensive line coach of Mississippi state, who also was the offensive line coach at Washington State, he coached both guys, and he has plenty of things to say to guys like you who think there's going to be an adjustment period for these two gentlemen to go to the NFL. He's sick, and his name is Mason Miller. He's the offensive line coach at Mississippi State. He coached Cross, he coached Gabe, and he said, stop it with the nonsense. There's a reason these guys are drafted high. They're ready to play right now. That's what he said. Typical Brady, just spewing <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> well, but anyway, uh, anyway, let me let me just go to the next couple guys. So we think it's 50-50 on, on Lucas. That brings in the cornerbacks. Kobe, Kobe Bryant, who apparently was the, the defensive back or cornerback of the year in college football. He played second fiddle to the guy, Sauce, whatever his name is, that uh, went high in the first round. But he's a capable player. And then there's this guy, Tariq Woolen, who everybody's talking about because he's tall and fast and there's not been a combination of that tall and that fast and that jumping ability, although he's new to the position from uh, UT San Antonio, I believe. Yep. Knowing what you know about the corners, knowing about DJ leaving and, and what you know, would you give Kobe Bryant a shot to either be a starting outside corner or maybe even a you know an inside nickel guy in passing situations right out of the gate? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Look, fourth round is kind of that territory where, look, if you draft a guy in rounds one through three, you expect him to be a starter. If it's not right away, you expect him to eventually be a starter. Fourth round, that guy's definitely making the team, or at least he should. You don't necessarily expect that guy to, to jump in right away. Now, I think two things that Bryant has going for him is there's not any sort of solidified guy there. I don't even think that, you know, Sidney Jones is solidified in a starting spot. So theoretically there's two starting spots that should be up for grabs there. And he's also got a ton of college experience. I don't have the number in front of me, but I, th I think he was he started for at least three, uh, maybe four seasons. He may have been a guy that came back. I'm have a bunch of names running through my head, but ton of starting experience, a wide open spot. So yeah, I think he's got a very good chance of, of ending up in the starting. It's uh, okay, okay. one of those spots to begin the season. And Joe, we'll give you the last word. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot here because I know you follow it casually, a little more casually now in Vegas than you would have if you covered the team. All right, we talked about Cross, Mafe, Walker, Lucas. Any one of those last five, Joe, when you heard about him intrigue you, whether it's Brian or Woolen or, or the Ohio State edge rusher or the two receivers that they got late, anybody there that pops up or you're just kind of in a wait-and-see mode? As a Seahawk. I'm going to wait and see mode. I mean, obviously, the, the Tariq Woolen athletic profile is certainly intriguing. Again, I just think it was nice to see them double dip back-to-back -back corners. It just made too much sense for it to be a Seahawks draft. Cupboards bare. You don't know how. Do you have a half a starter? Is Sidney Jones a full starter? You let DJ Reed walk, which I think fans are justifiably frustrated about, you know, whether or not he deserves, you know, 
they weren't going to pay that money. Fine. But he was a pretty darn good player. Yeah. It really kind of won over the hearts of a lot of Seahawks fans. So it just made too much sense. Like, I think everyone's like, they'll take a tight end here or they'll take another running back or whatever. And so I think it was just, I've said it again, or I've said it once, I'll say it again. The chalky picks, it was just, I think, nice to see Refreshing. everything make so much obvious sense. Very good. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com. You need to follow him because he gives you the inside scoop, which is great. Did an unbelievable job Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with the draft. Brady, good job again, and thank you very much for being a part of Mitch Unfiltered. We appreciate it. Thank you, Mitch and Joe. You guys are too kind. This was, this was good getting back together with you guys. And Joe, Joey fan, Joey Vegas, who was on the golf course and shot what at TPC Summerlin on this uh, on this day? Uh, only played nine uh, at TPC Vegas. TPC, oh. TPC Summerlin shut down for the summer. Brand oh. new fairways coming oh. for next year's Shriners Open. Oh, that's a pretty expensive course to not be able to play <laughs> over the summer. Don't you think? Yep. Do you even want to be playing golf in the summer in Vegas or is it just too hot? Let me tell you, the wind in Vegas in the spring is no joke. It was, it is a baseline of 15 miles an hour. And wow. basically every day at some point it gets 25 plus. So okay. I played nine holes today. It was like, I'm good. Done. Don't need to continue with this. I had a, a smoked 160 yard drive uh, into the teeth of the wind. It, it was, it was silly. And it's been like that for a while. So you, you got to work on the stinger, Joe. <laughs> yeah, no, that's next on my list for sure. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Mitch. It's time to check back in with John Waterstrat of Fireside Home Solutions. He's back with us. Fireplaces, garage doors, you name it. How goes it over there, John? It's doing great. Uh, we've had to get through this mucky weather like you know, Mitch, but it uh, <laughs> looks like the sun's popping back out. Things are starting to shine a little bit more. Like everywhere else, you and I have been talking about the wait times for non-stock orders because of the shipping issue that everybody has. Are you seeing any improvement on that end? We definitely have seen some improvement. I can't say it's going to be quick, mm -hmm. but uh, it has improved. And uh, our manufacturers have done a wonderful job of just looking at their processes, looking at what we're going through right now, these shortages, and, and doing a good job to get lead times down. And what do you think they are? Uh, sometimes it depends. Like I said, we always have the stock list, and we can talk about that. But uh, we also have some things that are on longer lead times. But instead of waiting 30 weeks, we've kind of shrunk that down maybe to 18 to 20 weeks. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's not short, but it's gotten better. But there's always that option of purchasing and installing a unit that's in your inventory, which is what we did here at the Levy household. So let's walk through that for a second. The Fireside Home Solutions team comes to your home free of charge. They look at your space, analyze and listen to your needs. Then we visit one of your many showrooms in the Pacific Northwest. Yep. Just talk to your sales rep. We'll come out to your house. We'll look at what you want and then just let your sales rep know. Is it speed that you need? If you need that, we'll get the stock list together. We'll find something that works and we can get that installed in about three weeks. If you have some time, let us know and we can get exactly what you want. And we just have to be patient, just like in any, any order that we're talking about with these longer lead times. Perfect. A few years ago, you guys wandered into the garage door market too. How's that been going? Because I'm hearing about some exciting things coming down the line. Yeah, it's been great. We've continued to grow that business. And uh, here in the fall, we're going to go ahead and open a showroom in Tacoma. It's going to help nice. the South Sound areas. And it's going to be really nice to be able to have Bellevue, Auburn, and Tacoma and just be able to help those customers in Pacific Northwest. That's awesome. Now, before you go, you have to tell our audience where you were for the first time in the middle of April and what you thought. 
Uh, I got to have that bucket list checked off, and I was able to get to Augusta. Pretty awesome. Awesome to watch Scotty Seffler uh, hit some great shots, but the course is just a special place. Well, I'll say it then. We love Fireside Home Solutions, a tradition unlike any other, and a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Hey, let's change gears and get the uh, the CEO of Daniel's Broiler, Lindsey Schwartz, on Mitch Unfiltered. Find out how Easter weekend went, and a big weekend is coming up in May. Lindsey, how you doing? I'm doing great, Mitch. Yeah, it was uh, a great weekend for Easter. Always a, a really busy day for us, a really busy Sunday, and now we're getting excited about Mother's Day. So we like rankings on Mitch Unfiltered. All sports show like statistics and rankings and power polls. What I want to know is, where does Mother's Day, what is it, May 8th this year, Sunday, May 8th, Mother's Day, in terms of power rankings, where does Mother's Day weekend rank for weekends throughout the season, throughout the year for you? Well, I can tell you as far as power rankings, the Sunday is for sure the busiest Sunday of the year. That would be number one. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, the weekend is a good one, but it's, it's really heavily concentrated on Sunday. What's the biggest weekend of the year then? I would say in December, it's the couple of weekends before Christmas. That's when people are having holiday parties or just getting out to celebrate. So, yeah, the month of December is a great month for us. And those two weekends right before Christmas are the biggest. And does Lindsay Schwartz's mom go to Daniel's Broiler? Now, be honest, every Mother's Day. You know, Mitch, she goes there every Thanksgiving because yes. you, uh, you, yes. you got to meet her there. Yes. Sometimes we do on Mother's Day, but our big thing with her is, is actually Thanksgiving at Daniel's. And when Lindsay Schwartz's mom, who I'm sure is a big listener of Mitch Unfiltered, when she goes to Daniel's Broiler, what does she get? Same meal every time or does she change it up? My mom gets the same thing every time. She gets the salmon. And I'll tell you something interesting. My mom is actually a a pescatarian. She doesn't eat red meat. But one of the cool things about Daniel's is we make sure that we have something for everybody. As as we've talked about, we've got a great vegetarian menu. And we always have a really good salmon selection. That's what she gets. Tell us the schedule. What do you do special on Mother's Day Sunday? Is there anything we need to know? We just have a special uh, hour. So just like Easter, we open early on Sunday. Easter and Mother's Day are the days we open early on Sunday. We open at noon at the Lake Union location and Bellevue location and at 11 at Leshai. And does she listen to the show? I'll tell you what, she does listen to the show. Stop But it. the reason is she wants to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> so... I don't know about your other listeners, but but my mom listens so that she can hear me. That's what she loves about the show. But I will tell you this. She tries to listen to the whole show, but but she did tell me she thinks you talk too much about golf. And she's not not a big fan of that. So that's a little feedback Uh, for you. Daniel's Broiler from Mother's Day, May 8th. It's a big weekend. If you can't get reservations for the actual Sunday, May 8th, of course, Friday night, Saturday night. It's a great weekend where we celebrate all the moms out there, and Daniel's Broiler is the number one place to do it, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. First pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars select... Trayvon Walker, linebacker, Georgia. With the 86th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Tennessee Titans select Malik Willis, quarterback, Liberty. 
The NFL draft is in the books, ladies and gentlemen. Ed Marinero is still talking. <laughs> and I'm sure our buddy JLC, Jason Locke and Fora, has plenty to say. Didn't you love it when the girl came out and said, come on, Marinero, Ooh, move, move he it got up. the hook. It reminded <laughs> me of the gun show. I thought somebody was going to literally get him with a cane and get, drag uh, him off. Hook him by the knees. Oh, that was so good. That was so good. Yeah. So I guess it was two minutes and 43 seconds, but it, it certainly felt longer like, than that to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you like the draft? Do you like the Are you a draft guy? Do you watch real closely? What are you? Uh, I mean, am I a draft guy? No. Nah, look, I don't see much college football. You know, I see very little college football in real time. I start to get caught up, you know, around the combine. But even then, my focus is on free agency. And then – um yeah, I mean, most of my, a good part of my April is usually spent, you know, researching these kids, calling people, you know, preparing, writing about it, getting getting the mock draft going. And obviously, there's just such a flurry of activity now. There's so many trades and all those trades. So some degree or another, even player for player trades usually include picks somewhere along the way, too. So, yeah, it's all sort of intertwined. It's all part of the story. It's great theater. And this year was, I mean, it was, what was it, 12 trades? You had nine teams with multiple picks in the first round. You had, you know, two prominent players involved in real-time trades on Thursday night. So many of these kids, what they've overcome, their individual stories, obviously all of them as, as everyone, but especially young people, having sort of the scope of their lives altered by COVID. So, yeah, it's... it's um, I'm not going to lie. I'm happy when it's over, <laughs> but it is, it's a big buildup and it's a lot of fun and it's become one of the biggest gambling events on the calendar from what they tell me now. And it, really? it obviously uh, is made for TV and the NFL does a, a hell of a job of capitalizing on the run up to it. And they'll never change their off season as much as general managers and other people. And even common sense would say, why is this happening in the you know in May again when their seasons most of them end in November? But it's not changing. It's good for business, and it was a fun weekend. Here's what I come away with, and I know nothing about these guys, but here's what sure. I here's my takeaway: the quarterbacks must be really, really crappy this year because even in years where they're not a good group, a handful of them always get drafted higher than they should. I'm, yeah. wait, I'm waiting for this Willis guy to go corral uh, yeah. Howell of North Carolina. I could not believe it. Nobody wanted to take any of these guys. Yeah, I, I, I thought they would have still been pushed up just by pure econ 101 supply demand, and they're cheaper now. You know, especially like if they turn out to be even decent players with what's going on in the quarterback market and looking at, you know, staring down the barrel of, fully guaranteed deals with no trade clauses. And it's not just for superstars. That's, you know, that's what Kirk Cousins is getting too. Like with that being the new norm, I thought more people would have taken a flyer on these kids sooner rather than risk it. But it turns out everybody but Pittsburgh waited. And I thought there'd be more of them who would go at the start of day two. I would have thought Ritter, Corral, you know, how I thought they would have gone like, second round and I thought Carson strong somebody would have taken a flyer on at the top of day three and <laughs> he didn't get drafted at all so yeah a certainly an unusual class 
One or two of them will end up being decent players. You know, I, I just think that that's what the odds would say. But the only, yeah, I mean, the only team that invested any sort of substantial draft capital in the position was the Steelers, and they obviously have a unique tie into that particular player, given you know yeah, yeah. where he played his college football and where the Steelers' training facility is. And then here's the Seattle Seahawks with no real clear quarterback of the future, and they could have they could have drafted any of these guys like five different times. Willis, they could have had Willis five different times, and yeah. yet. I don't know if they're going after Baker Mayfield. I don't know if they like Drew Locke better than everybody else likes Drew Locke. I don't understand it. I, I don't know what their plan is. And everybody says, hey, maybe they're planning for 2023. But if they think they're going to be decent in 2022, let's say, I don't know, 8 and 9, 7 right. and 10, 8 and 9, are they really going to be drafting high enough to get the quarterback that they want in 2023? I don't know. Yeah, I- I don't think it was anything like that where it's just like we're going to be conscientious objectors to these quarterbacks no matter you know what I mean no matter what I think it was them just sticking to their board and taking what they think is going to make them better in in the near term and the long term I I still think whether it's Baker Mayfield or Jordan Love or something I I, oh. I would personally you think it's somebody they don't have it's somebody they if, don't have if right this now. is yeah. the room you know what I mean okay. if it's Okay. Gino versus Drew Locke. I, I have a hard time thinking that's going to be the case. What's the going rate on Baker Mayfield? They're just waiting for it to keep coming down? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any. I mean, there's no real threat there. There, there never really was. People saying Carolina, how are you going to have Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield? Like, you got, you got, you know what I mean? An over, the third pick in the draft who was overdrafted making $19 million and the first pick of the draft who was overdrafted making $19 million. How is that going to work? No, I think Jimmy Haslam has been behind, you know, the eight ball here since he did what he did for Deshaun Watson. And nobody's going to do him any favors and nobody's going to take any problems off his hands. And, you know, he's he's persona non grata among his peers right now. And he's going to have to eat a bleep sandwich here. And, and I, I've been reporting everything I've heard is that he's going to have to eat at least half that contract and probably closer to 12 million to get anything in return. For him, otherwise people will call his bluff. They'll let him have a nineteen million dollar backup who's not going, who doesn't want to be in the building, and who nobody wants in the building, and you know, see how that works out for him. So, I think at some point in time, he he's going to have to just get his head around the calculus at at, at play here, which is they're all old enough to remember you taking on Brock Osweiler on a sixteen million dollar contract that you were going to eat just so you could get a second round pick. So you want to get a four for this guy. Guess what? That might cost you twelve million, and I think he'll eventually do it. Now, look for them. Will they wait for other people to get hurt? Now, or are they going to be in a hurry to do it? No. And I guess if you really wanted Baker Mayfield in your in your there for the start of OTAs or whatever, if you really thought he was the answer, then maybe you don't make the schedule squeeze Haslam the way he's probably going to end up being squeezed. But again, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not even thinking of who it could be now. Maybe they've got their eye. Like, I mean, I know Nick Foles is out there. I I can't think it's Nick Foles at this stage of the game, but I just, again, I I can't see Locke and Geno Smith splitting reps and may the best man win. I I just think there's going to be something else inserted into that equation. We'll wait and see. So who did well? I understand that everyone likes. Oh, jeez! Everyone like everyone loves what the team around the corner from you did. They had a good day. They had a good couple of days. Yeah, the Ravens. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Ravens got themselves some 
some potentially impactful players. No, no doubt about it. Uh, it's so hard to say. I can remember 2019, go back and look at their draft grades. And it was like, oh my God, they're they're gonna they're gonna go win multiple Super Bowls around Lamar Jackson now. Like, look at this track team they put around them, and Miles Boykin to team with Hollywood Brown. There's the receiving core, and oh man, this this Jalen Ferguson in the third round, sack daddy, you know, all time conference leader in sacks. Like, boy, they're gonna he's gonna come off the edge, and he's gonna replace Suggs and. The whole draft's gone. Most of them have been cut or, you know, or given away or, I mean, so I don't know, man. You know, they had six picks in the fourth round. You think, you really think an NFL team, like even if you gave an NFL team six first round picks, you think they're finding six quality players? No. It's really hard to do, right? Right. Like, it's hard to do. And to do it in the fourth round, and I'm supposed to believe just because PFF thinks they killed it, that that, like, in real life, they're going to kill it? I don't know. It really is a crapshoot. Their front seven still sucks on paper right now. I mean, I love the David Ajabo pick, but he, if he comes back in December, you know, that's a win. That's probably the best case scenario. And I get it for the long view. It makes sense, but they're going to have to go out and sign a few pass rushers. But yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think on paper, what they did, it looks like they checked a lot of boxes. I love what the Lions did, but it's the Lions. You know what I mean? Like things just don't, <laughs> things don't tend to work out for the Lions. Now, this didn't look like a Lion, typical Lions draft. It didn't feel like a typical Lions draft, but who the hell knows? Three years from now, we might be looking at it like a typical Lions draft. I like what the Eagles did. I like what the Saints did. You know, I think those are teams that, have probably, in my estimation, closed the gap on the Bucks and the Packers. And, and one of those teams might end up, you know, running on fumes this year. And maybe both, you know, maybe both with, with the age of their quarterbacks, et cetera. Yeah. So, you know, they're, you know, I, I think people feel I've seen a lot of people give quality grades to the Seahawks. It's unusual to see them have this many picks, right? Yeah. I don't have to tell you guys that it probably felt like as a Seahawks draft consumer, that probably felt like a very different weekend than probably any you could remember since they started building this thing, right? It's funny because the one controversial pick, the one pick that elicited a lot of a lot of polarizing response was the one guy of all the guys that they picked that I actually knew, Kenneth Walker, the running back from uh-huh. Michigan State. He's the one guy that I watched play, that I remember watching play. Yeah. And people up here were up in arms. How could they how could they draft a running back on day two? They've got Carson, maybe. They've got Penny coming mm-hmm. back. They need all these things. And other people were like, wait, Carson may not play. Right. And and Penny's never been known to play more than four weeks at a time. And right. so, I mean, you have the best – you might have the best running back in the entire draft now on your team. So there was a lot of a lot of debate, social media uh, stress and anxiety over that one. But for them to have that many picks and to by and large keep them and to have that many picks – in the first half of a draft, that has been a minute for that. I, I think the I think the two storylines are here that A, they didn't draft a quarterback, obviously. Yeah. And then B, it was like I've always gotten on John because I think he's been too cute over the years, trading back, you know, yeah. hitting hitting flop shots, low percentage plays, drafting guys that everybody says, wait a second, he was more of a third or fourth rounder. I, I think this year they were as predictable and they were just kind of right down the middle. He's never really done yeah. that. He only traded back one time. I think that was in the fifth right. round. He took the left tackle, number nine. He didn't really go crazy. They didn't go off the board. 
No. It just they were kind of right down the middle for some reason. So that was. That I was mean, a lot of defense, right? A, a yep. bent towards defensive backs, right. which has been very. That's sort of been right. in their DNA. Right. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think it's just I mean, you see some of these teams and they're in, you know, situations that you're not accustomed to. Like you get accustomed to the Cleveland Browns having two or three first round picks, right? And they've got, you know, what I mean, they they do what they do for Watson, and it's like right. you don't even hear about the Cleveland Browns till you're in the fifties or whatever. It's just, uh, yeah. it's it's different. Nine teams having again, nine teams having multiple picks in the first round. That's that's. I'm not sure if that's going to become the new norm or or this is going to be the outlier that it looks to be, but it certainly gave that a different feel to that to that first round where teams could have a lot of flexibility and, you know, knowing, Hey, we've got another, we can, we can do this here. Cause we've still got another bite at the apple there. Before you go, I think something interesting happened the first day when AJ Brown was traded, you kind of mentioned yeah. what Philadelphia did. So we're sitting here with DK Metcalf with one year left to go on his contract. Same age as Brown, same agent as Brown. Everybody's mm-hmm. wondering how much money is he going to want? Can they do it? before the beginning of the season. Well, we found out a little bit about what a guy like that gets. You either get a first and a third round draft choice for him, and then they paid him, I think, $25 million a year? Oh, yeah. $25 million yeah. a year? The the wide receiver prices, I mean, sticker shock, to say the least, on all these wide receivers. So the Seahawks are in a pretty precarious spot with DK Metcalf and what they want to do with him. Yeah, I mean, if I'm – if I'm watching that one, I'd kind of like what do the what do the Cardinals do for Hollywood Brown? You know, because I, I think DK Metcalf's been a little bit more like Hollywood than I would say AJ. You know, I, AJ Brown to me is is he, he's he's up there in the you know class at top. You don't put DK in the same breath as AJ. I mean, statistically and everything about them are very similar. Everything yeah, about I don't them. know. I I, I think uh, again for me. I would put AJ a little bit above him, oh, and really? I would put him in a different, okay, a little bit of a different tier. You know what I mean? I'd have him in, him in tier one. I'd have I'd have Metcalf in tier two. Really? But like, what does Arizona do with Hollywood Brown? Because he's been very up and down. You know what I mean? He's not a size guy at all. He doesn't have the body that Metcalf and and AJ Brown and these other guys have. But like, do they do something that the, the where this thing could really get crazy is if they do like a DJ Shark kind of thing for him. Then I think a team like Seattle's got to be like, oh my god, you know what I mean? Like we're we're going to have to pay the piper on this guy, or we're going to have to move him in the next whatever between now and the deadline, or you know, whenever it looks to be the best time. I, I just have a feeling now that the wide receivers are going to become like running backs, where you're going to have to keep drafting them be, because of and, you know, with running backs, it's more about the tread on the tires and how quickly they age and yada yada yada. But I think with these receivers, it's going to have to be like. We're going to have him for four years, and unless we want to build our whole team around him and pay him like a quarterback, we're going to move off of him and and do like what the Titans did and draft potentially draft a replacement. But I just think it's a little different doing what AJ did with Ryan Tannehill. You know what I mean? Then looking at DK and the construct. You know I'm a Russell guy. You know what I mean? So I I think the the, the quarterback can go a long way to okay. to making these guys develop more quickly and what have you. But yeah, it's it's the cost of doing business now. You know, can we get four years out of them? Are more teams inclined to take them in the first round because of the fifth-year option, sort of the same way you look at quarterbacks? It's certainly going to be a trend to keep an eye on. And one thing we know for sure, colleges are going to keep throwing the ball all over the place. They're going to keep spreading everything out. So they're going to keep producing. They're going to keep producing wide receivers and corners. Very good. 
Very, very good. Have a good offseason. Go to some base. What's going on with the left field wall in Baltimore? Drastically different. Uh, but they do. Like 2,500 or 3,000 square feet of playable surface created. Because it's not just that they moved it. Like if you look at the volume, it's, they moved it back 20 feet and it's a stretch that's like 50 feet long. And then they also raised that they doubled the size of the fence. So it's, uh, it looks different. It plays different, but go look at the American league ERA. You'll, you'll find a bunch of Baltimore Orioles, no name pitchers combined to be doing the job, especially at home. So we'll see things change, Mitch, right? Can't be averse to change. Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Locke and four read them. CBS sports.com. Follow them. On Twitter, have a great offseason. Thank you for doing you this. You too, brother. We'll talk, talk to you soon. Yeah, we'll talk uh, closer to the beginning of, well, I guess schedules will be out. Yeah, there is no offseason uh, in the NFL. There's no offseason. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have a good summer no, anyway. There's no offseason. You summer. too, my man. Okay, talk be again. Well. Bye-bye. Thanks, buddy. Time for a visit from our mortgage slash football slash tournament expert, Jay Flo. Jordan Flowers, the Kirkland branch of Cross Country Mortgage. How are you, Jay Flo? I'm doing well, Mitch. It's crazy. Diaper dandies. It's amazing. <laughs> Diaper dandies is right. Between the birth of Barrett and now the tournament, I can't imagine there's a lot of work getting done over there. Any time for refis or phone calls? <laughs> oh, there's time for refis. There's time for diaper changes. There's time for basketball. It's amazing. I'm the head coach of my son's baseball team. There's always time. Oh. Who does Barrett, who does young, how old is Barrett now? And who does Barrett have in his final four? You know, Barrett is five weeks old and he is a Duke fan. So Duke's winning it all for him. <laughs> Not for me, though. Not for me. I have UCLA winning it all. And your daughter filled out a bracket? My daughter filled out a bracket. We called it Blakely's Bracket Busters, and hers is busted already. She picked San Diego State to win it all. She's five. <laughs> all right, lots of volatility in the stock markets. What has that meant for interest rates and your side of the world? Yes, so rates have been continuing to climb here recently um, as the Fed tries to get out in front of inflation, hopefully, and curb the long-term yield curve. So uh, right now we're seeing rates go up mid to upper threes on certain products and low four. So overall, still great time to look at buying a home, especially in this market. And also great time to still be looking at uh, refinances, both cash out, consolidating debt. And there's still people dropping interest rates or getting out of, say, FHA and uh, conventional loans. So still lots of loans to be had out there. Let's say I'm buying a new house, Jordan, for a million bucks. I've got a great credit history. I'm looking at a 30 year fixed what am I doing? Putting 20% down, 200 grand down. And what's my, what's my monthly number through you guys? Yeah, pretty standard 20% down for a jumbo loan. Um, you're looking in the upper threes, we call it three, seven, five, give or take right now. We have five and 10% down options with no mortgage insurance on jumbo products too. So I would say the number you'd be looking at is somewhere around that three, seven, five range. Beautiful. And how do I call you in between diaper changes and NCAA tournament games? Absolutely. You can reach me on the cell phone, 425-890-2957. We love J-Flow. He's a dad for the fourth time, ladies and gentlemen. Cross-country mortgage, Kirkland office, great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. With the ninth pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Seattle Seahawks select Charles Cross. Tackle, Mississippi State. 
with the 72nd pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Seattle Seahawks select Abraham Lucas, tackle, Washington State. So the Seahawks made a statement on the first two days of the NFL Draft. Did they draft two bookend tackles that'll be the cornerstones of their offensive line for many years to come? Charles Cross, Mississippi State at number nine, Abe Lucas at number 72. Our next guest is the perfect man to have on episode 189 of Mitch Unfiltered. He coached them both, first as offensive line guru at Wazoo, and now Mississippi State, he's Coach Mason Miller. Hey, Coach, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Well, I'm okay. What's it like to watch both of your guys not only get drafted early, but go to the same team? What is that like? Uh, it's it's pretty cool to watch him drafted early, and then as you sat around Friday night, I was starting to get a little anxious, and I looked up there, and I was like, Abe's going to Seattle. Abe's really going to go to Seattle. <laughs> and sure enough, it happened. Let's start with Charles Cross. And let's get down to the brass tacks, the most important part of the whole thing. And that is I have a little birdie in my ear about Moe's Barbecue on Main Street. All right? Let's get down to really what this is all about. I've heard legendary stories, not only about Cross, but you. You at at Moe's Barbecue. Let me hear the story. Yeah, I eat there all the time. Like, it's like a regular place for me. I'm there two or three times a week. So I took Charles, and, and we had a little lunch there, and yeah, it's a cool place, man. I tell you what, it's good Southern barbecue. I grew up around here. I'm from I'm from Georgia, so being back down and getting a little barbecue, a little Southern style is, is pretty cool. But the legend has it that no one eats more on Thursday nights when the when the quarterback and the offensive line go to Moe's than the left the new left tackle of the Seattle Seahawks. Any truth to those rumors? Oh, that's fact. Absolute <laughs> facts. I mean, he can down some food. I mean, he's still a growing boy. I mean, he's only 21 years old, so he's he's going to get bigger. Oh, no, I don't yeah. doubt that one bit. He almost never played at Mississippi State. Originally planned to go to FSU, as I read it. And then after mm-hmm. a redshirt season, he fit right in, right into the fire, starting left tackle from the get-go. Yeah, we got down here right at the you know time of the pandemic in 2020, and he'd been here for like six months. And you know, we had gotten to see him through some of our midnight maneuvers, stuff that we did at Washington State we were doing here. And then, you know, the pandemic hit. But as soon as you saw him, like in midnight maneuvers, you were like, yeah, he's a guy. And then throughout that process, he was a guy that was always trying to get better, like always finding something to do. You'd, you'd hear stories of him working out at the beach volleyball court on campus or whatever he could do. And then right about going into his redshirt freshman year in the 2020 season, he started getting better and better, but he was still only about 285 pounds. So he was having to battle through some of the, uh, as you would call it, the, the treachery of the SEC defensive lines. But his mistakes weren't because he was a bad player. It was mistakes that he, or, or problems that he had just because he wasn't quite there yet. But you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. And then going into the uh, this past season, the 21 season, during summer workouts, you just started looking around going, yeah, he's he's got it. And just to watch it go that fast was was probably the most eye-opening experience for me, just how much effort and work he put into it. Elton Jenkins is down here all the time. He plays for the Green Bay Packers. And Elton looked at me about halfway through summer workouts, and he was like, yeah, he ain't coming back, Coach. He's gone. So he knew. Elton knew. He's a pro. He knew. So, And really, it's all about Charles's work ethic and who he is as a person. He's a great human being. 
Uh, I think that's one of his best qualities is the type of person he is. Always did what he was supposed to do all the time. Seems like coaches are quick to point out when an offensive lineman has basketball in his background. And Charles does. Pete Carroll, and I think both Pete Carroll and John Schneider both pointed out it's those basketball skills that help the footwork. Yeah, we always look for it when we're recruiting guys. We like guys that hoop. Matter of fact, we had the guys over here the other day, or yesterday, as a matter of fact, some of the, the guys still on our team, and we were out there shooting hoops. I want to see who could move, you know. Uh, but Charles is no different, you know. He's got great feet. I think one of his biggest assets is his ability to autocorrect in the middle of a game or in a drive if he oversets somebody or doesn't get his head in the right place and run blocking, you can see it the next time that play comes up, he's already fixed it. And by the time he gets to the sidelines, you're like, good job. The Alabama game this year kind of reconfirmed what people already knew about him. Lots of people circling. And of course that's the sec game that I'm sure a lot of pro scouts always want to watch. How did this guy do against Alabama? If he didn't play actually for Alabama, what do you remember about Charles in that game? I remember distinctly him cutting off a, a, a backside three. We were running the ball to the right. He cut it off, got his whole body in front, and then kind of set it down, basically like a basketball player boxing somebody out. Mm -hmm. And my comment on the headphones was, yeah, he's gone. He just made a lot of money, guys. Really? I mean, to do that against that competition is is really good. And they got a great team, and obviously Coach Saban does a tremendous job developing guys. But to watch him do that at such a young age against those guys, I was like, yeah, he, he's got it. You know that sometimes these air raid offensive linemen get a bad rap, and you're smiling and you're smiling because you've heard this a million times. I'm sorry to have to bring it up again, but I think our audience would want to want to hear it. A, they're not asked to run block very much because of the prolific passing game. B, the pass game is not quote pro style, little or no three point stances. The ball often comes out of the quarterback's hand quickly, so they're not asked to hold the block for very long. Is all that stuff unfair or? A lot of it's untrue. Untrue. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Please, please. You know, I, I would say, you know, the run blocking piece we work on every single day and the guys that I got all the stuff from, the, the Larry Zerlines, the Aaron Kamars, all those great offensive line coaches uh, in the NFL, that's, that's where I learned it from. So they're being taught what they're going to be taught at that level you know, styled at Philly and all that stuff. Uh, I remember distinctly when uh, the Giants came down for pro day and they were working Charles out and he was asked to backside cut off, throw his backside hand to the sternum, you know, yada, 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 and get up to the second level. And he just kind of looked over at me with a, he's like, I've already done this before. I've already, I've already made this block because I did it every single day at practice. So that part's true. And a lot of people don't realize that while it's no mystery to what we do and we're very proud of it and we think we do it, uh, very well as we throw the ball a lot. So it's those defensive linemen, you know, got their butts up in the air and they're, they're flying off the football. And, you know, sometimes our quarterback has to hold on to it. Sometimes he doesn't. And when he's asked to hold on to it, our rule is if he wants to bake a cake back there, we're going to let him. And then finally on the run blocking piece, you know, over the last, since 2018, Austin Corbett, Andre Dillard, now Charles, now Abe, I mean, they keep drafting them pretty high for a reason. And I think the number one reason is because they're not going to get their quarterback killed, you know, and I think run blocking is a mentality and Austin Corbett just got paid a lot of money to go to Carolina and he's a guard and ran the ball run block very well for the Los Angeles Rams on their way to the Super Bowl last year. So I think all of it is a, is really about what people don't see. I mean, they don't see us doing that. So they assume that they can't be good at it. And I, I think 
run blocking is a mentality that you have to have to move a guy from point A to point B. And if you're a guy that's got that tenacity, you're going to do it. When I saw that the Seahawks were kind of projected to pick him or one of the tackles, and then they picked him, I quickly ran to my computer coach because I wanted to see who was first team all SEC between Charles and Evan Neal of, of Alabama. And I saw that the SEC kind of weaseled out and they made both of them all first team. <laughs> so uh, I want you to convince the 12s. Maybe you don't want to do that, but I thought it'd be fun. Tell me why Charles is a better pro prospect. Maybe you don't think he is. Maybe you think they're equal. Talk to our listeners about the two of those guys, Neil and, and Cross. You saw them both, obviously, a lot. Yeah, to be honest with you, I never really watched Evan. Uh, I know he's a tremendous player, comes from a tremendous program. The thing that I can uh, talk about with Charles is he's only 21 years old. His best football is ahead of him. You know, this guy's a, a redshirt sophomore. He's only played two years of college football. So he is getting into the NFL and going to get a lot of experience and going to keep playing and getting better and getting better and getting better at what he works at. You know, Evan has been on some really good teams at Alabama and does a tremendous job. I only, you know, I, like I said, I very rarely watch other teams play. I did kind of pay attention to him in 2020 when they had that really, really good offensive line when we were playing them. But, you know, for the most part, we kind of just focus on our guys and, and what they're doing. But again, I think the biggest thing that Charles has got going forward is his age. And mm -hmm. boy, he's got a lot of great football ahead of him. Let's segue to Abe, if you don't mind. Uh, I, I know you sit in Mississippi State, Starkville, but you have fond memories of your days in Pullman. You mentioned Andre Dillard. You had him. He was a high pick, a first-round draft choice. Now, I don't think it's worked out quite the way he wanted in Philadelphia. He seems to be somebody who's going out the door. They're going to they're gonna move him or something. But uh, I just want to know about Abe. We remember him from Everett, Washington. He was on that high school team that was so good that other teams didn't want to play him. They literally were forfeiting. Yeah. Teams were forfeiting games. We're not, we're not, we're not playing that team. And, uh, and then he went to Washington State, and you had him there. I don't know if you had him right when, they, when, he, when he stepped on campus for the first time, but you certainly have lots of knowledge and, and, and lots of info you can tell us about Abe. Actually, it's ironic. The same age I got Charles is the same age I, I, I inherited Abe. So I had gotten to Washington State in the spring of 2018, and he'd only been there for six months too. So got to see both those guys at a young age. Man, I talk about a guy that's, you know, and I had him for two, two and a half years, and then we came down here. So, really, I went from one to the other. And uh, it's, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good coaching career. But uh, I tell you, the thing that I, I loved most about Abe is he was the first one out to practice every single day. I have pictures in my phone, me sitting in my office. I wasn't even ready to go yet. He's already walking out on the field, getting warmed up. Kind of has a, as Charles has got this bubbly, exciting, but can flip the switch and go, straight focus. Abe is always kind of like that, that look on his face. Like sometimes I've wondered if he was going to rip my arms off, you know, but, uh, but he's always got this kind of, I'm ready to go to work. Same kid. I, I tell people all the time, the personalities of, you know, their work ethic and all that, uh, they're the same and the same with some other, the guys I've coached that we mentioned, but, uh, like Corbs, I mean, they were all the same, but Abe, and then the thing about Abe is he was so big and he didn't look, look like he was moving. But he is. He's covering a lot of ground because he's so massive. And, and uh, again, I think that's a guy that he's probably got some things he needs to work on as well, but he'll do it. Like, and, that, and that's the thing that I'm so excited for Coach Carroll and those guys because I know they do a good job up front. They got Gabe Jackson, and they've had great tackles there before. 
but yeah, I think it's the sky's the limit for him too. Uh, he's played a little bit more football than Charles has. I think Gabe played something like 40 some odd games. And I think 30, maybe 28 of them were for us. So, uh, while we were there, but yeah, he's, he's got a great future and a great work ethic. I'm going to ask you a question that I've asked a lot over the last 30 years of guys like you after the draft. Some coaches, this is my last question. Some coaches bristle at this question, so I hope you don't. Okay. Uh, and you don't reach across the Zoom and grab me by the neck. But it's a, I think it's a fair question, and it's a, an honest question. And it may be two different answers for the two different players. If it mm-hmm. doesn't work out, if Charles isn't the NFL player, if Abe isn't the NFL player that we all expect that they'll be today, it will be because of what, do you think? Well, I don't think it's going to be because of a lack of confidence. I don't think it's going to be a lack of effort. And I don't think it's going to be a lack of, of coaching. So honestly, and you knock on wood, but you hate to use the I word. And I, I would be shocked. I really would. You know, and again, I'm shocked about some other guys that, that haven't made it uh, that we've talked about. But again, sometimes the injury bug gets you. And the other thing is, is I think they're going to have, probably have a good plan, throw those guys in the deep end, let them swim, see if they can swim real fast and then reel them back. I don't know. I'm not in the room. I don't know what those guys got planned for them, but I know they know what they're doing. I know that much. I know Coach Carroll knows what he's doing. I've always admired him from afar, uh, even when I was in the Palouse. The guy knows what he's doing. He's developed a lot of offensive linemen. Okung, I think, was out there. He was. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, he wasn't bad either. Injuries. No, I, I, injuries, injuries is the only I, thing. The whole is is the system. How important is the match of offensive line? We hear this all the time for quarterbacks and wide receivers. Sometimes cornerback, cornerbacks, the way they play. How important, like Andre Dillard, maybe you have a, a philosophy or a theory why it hasn't worked out for him in Philadelphia. Is it system? Is it match? Is that important for offensive linemen in terms of which pro team they end up with? Uh, maybe. I mean, uh, you look at Austin Corbett. He was with Cleveland, and he couldn't play at Cleveland and starts, starts on a Super Bowl-winning team for two straight years in L.A. and then makes $29 million. You know, I'm not there, so I can't answer those questions. Uh, I did get to watch Dre play against the Cowboys. And when I turned on the tape or the TV, I was like, that's the guy I know. So, you know, maybe it's just getting comfortable. I I don't know. So I can't answer that. I'm not there, but I do think he's talented. You know, I I don't know. I mean, I I think you try to draft the best athlete you can. I mean, offensive linemen have to be considered as athletes. And I think that every single day they're going to be working at their craft. And if they're not, they're not going to get any better. I mean, they're not. And I think if you got a guy that's going to work at it, and he gets some breaks and does the right thing all the time, good things are going to happen to him. He can't be afraid to fail. And I think a lot of guys, when they get to that stage, they get consumed by all the noise. And I don't think that that's going to happen to those two because, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't think they really pay much attention to it. Well, thank you for being on, and good luck replacing Charles. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> heading out the road Monday trying to get that done. Uh, hey, just so the 12s know, I got my Seahawks gear coming. I, I got online and started crushing it. Love Seattle. I thought it was one of the most beautiful places on the planet. I love my time out in the Palouse. It was a great place and uh, look forward to coming out there and hearing that place roar. Coach Miller, you're a good man. Thank you very much for being on with us. All right. Thank you. Take care. Hail State. Go Cougs. It's trivia time. The director of financial planning at Evergreen Golf Call rejoins us on Mitch Unfiltered, Katie Versio. Katie, how are you? How's everything at Evergreen Golf Call? I know it's been tough in the markets the last few months. Hey, Mitch, uh, it has been a very volatile last few months, but we're all doing well. 
Do we have a theme of questioning today? Yes. Today's theme is focused on interest rates. There's right. been some changes this year, and it's really been impacting markets. So I'm curious to how much you've been paying attention. I haven't been, but I'll do my very best. Well, I kind of have been. Question number one, Katie. So in March, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates for the first time since December 2018. How much did they increase rates by? Was it 0.25% or 0.5%? I'll say 0.25%. All right, you got it. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yes, so they increased by just 0.25%, and it's really impacted markets. Both stocks and bonds are down in this environment, with bonds down about 9% and stocks down anywhere from 13 to 20%. It's really increased volatility. Okay, I guess I'm off to a good start. Uh, surprisingly to all of us, a uh, question number two, Katie. So the change in interest rates has impacted areas of the market differently. In April of 2021, a year ago, yeah. the 30-year fixed mortgage rate was on average about 3.2%. What is that mortgage rate today if you're going to go out and get a new mortgage? Is it 4.2%, 5%, or 5.2%? I'll say 5%. I'll go right in the middle, Katie. It's actually 5.2%. So it's an increase on average of two percentage points. So that's a huge increase over that time period. Yeah, it's costing us a lot more each month on our mortgage. All right, question number three. Maybe I can go two for three. Go ahead. Okay, so in April of 2021, a six-month CD would earn you 0.17% in interest. So not very much. What is that rate today? Is it 0.2%, 0.5%, or 1% on a six-month CD? I'll say... 0.5%, right in the middle again. Actually, 0.2%. Oh, so it's been interesting where, well, mortgage rates have spiked and some other interest rates have, have gone up. At the shorter end of the curve, interest rates have not increased much at all. So for savers, for those that are looking to save into a savings account or a money market, it really hasn't increased much at all. Which means it's been a bad few months all the way around for all of us savers out there. Right, Katie? That's right. Uh. All right, well, next time we'll have a better update, hopefully, from Evergreen Golf Call. We love Katie Versio. We congratulate her on her new title over there at Evergreen Golf Call because Evergreen is everything wealth. Unfiltered. Stuff segment, episode 189. Hotshot Scott, you go first. You remember Michael Eisner, the ex-Disney CEO? Got a couple bucks, that fellow, right? Well, he's selling his massive, have you seen this Malibu estate that he has? 25,000 square feet in Malibu. But it's not just one structure. There's nine buildings on the five-acre property. What do you think you can, what do you think you have to pay for this? The low, low asking price that can all be yours in Malibu. 25,000 square feet. I would say... A gym, a theater. It's got everything. Sweeping views of the Well, Pacific. we just went through Mark Wahlberg's asking price, I think, of 80 million, 75 million. Yeah, yeah. I, I would think that this is going to be higher. It's 225. 225 million he's Get asking... out of here. ...for his house. <laughs> I mean, it's nine buildings, but there's a tunnel that connects the pool area to the theater. Can I just buy a room? I, just get one of the structures on the side. I mean... How cool is that? There's a tunnel from the theater to from the pool to the the, the two cool places. Did, on why the do house. you need that? Well, if it's five acres, I mean it's huge. Like you know, why it, do you need a tunnel though? 
Well, maybe they're like on different sides and you have to come in the house or maybe, I don't know. I'm not Michael Eisner, but I just think it's awesome that you have a tunnel in your house. Good for Michael Eisner. Amazing. I'm Where's so he happy. moving? I, I don't know. He's getting a condo Denver? in Burbank. I don't know. Is he going to Denver? Somewhere nice, probably, I'm guessing. Uh. Well, Russell Wilson has no guest bedrooms for Michael Eisner if he needs to bum a room. No, he does not. Uh, see, I have more sports-related stuff. A.J. Brown was traded. Did that move you at all? I saw that. Do you yeah. know A.J. Brown yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wide receiver, Tennessee Titans. Yep. You know where he played his college ball? I don't. Ole Miss. You know who was the other wide receiver on that team, same age? I don't. D.K. Metcalf. Oh, all right, okay. You know who's represented by the same agent? Both those two guys. <laughs> oh, okay. They've both been in the league the exact same amount of time. A.J., I think, was a first-round draft choice. D.K., a second-round draft choice. Both have one year left on their contract. Both played at Mississippi. One guy had 185 catches in his first three years. The other guy had 215 catches. DK had more. One guy had 16 yards per care, uh, per catch. The other guy had 16 yards per catch. One guy had 24 touchdowns. DK had 29. Two really good young wide receivers. But A.J. Brown, with one year left on his contract, was traded on draft day okay. to the Philadelphia Eagles. Why am I bringing that up? Well, because they're making moves, and the Seahawks are going to have to figure out what they're going to do with DK. Well, we got a sense, I think, from... I mean, these two guys are very comparable. Right. In a lot of ways. We got a sense of what they got. First of all, what did Tennessee get if they when they traded them? A first-rounder and a third-rounder. The 18th overall pick in the draft and a third-round pick. That's what they got for their, their star-wide receiver who had one year left on his contract. Does that seem light for you? Would you have wanted more? For him? A first and a third? Close. Okay, okay. More if he was signed for longer. Gotcha. But what makes it less is, you know, the impending free agency next year or franchise tag and all that nonsense. Yeah. So that brings the price down a little bit. All right, so that's the first thing we learned. The second thing we learned is, what did the Philadelphia Eagles do the day that they traded for him and gave a first and a third rounder for him? They signed him to the new contract starting next year. Gotcha. Four years, $100 million, $25 million a year. Whew. So I think Seahawks fans, now, again, I don't want to give out, well, I guess Lock and Fora was already heard. If you're listening to this yes. show in order, you'll was, hear him say A.J. Brown is better than D.K. Metcalf. A.J. Brown, he would put in tier one, and D.K. Metcalf, he put in tier two, which mm. I, by the way, don't agree with. Okay. I think they're, they're the same tier. In fact, he thinks that Russell Wilson inflated DK stats. He thinks Ryan Tannehill is a good good quarterback, but he thinks that DK feasted on Russell Wilson. It's probably you, a you little something that. that, yeah. I consider themselves equal. Okay. I consider them equals. So you found out, hey, if you want to trade them right now, maybe you get a first and a third, a first and a second. Yeah. If you want to sign them right now, by the way, say, did I say same agent? I, I said yeah, same agent, right? You better start at twenty-five million a year, four years, hundred million. That's where the start. That's I, I can't imagine uh, that DK would take a penny less, right? Even though Lock and Four thinks that AJ Brown's better, I can't imagine that he would take a penny less. Because I got to think that he's thinking, I'll just play the year out, and then I'm a free agent. And right. if they want to franchise me, they got to pay me like thirty million. Yeah. And if they don't want to franchise me, I'll go somewhere and I'll sign on the open market and I'll get more than $25 million a year. Yeah. Now, the other part to that is, good luck, DK, playing the final year with Drew Locke. Right. Let's see what your stats, <laughs> let's see what kind of numbers you're coming off of, what kind of season you're coming off of. That's year. right. But I just thought that the A.J. Brown trade and subsequent qu- contract extension yeah. was enough to, to bring up 
after the Michael Eisner house. It's like so. a it's like a little preview into what could potentially be. Kind of gives you a little sense. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have the Kansas Wesleyan University baseball story? I don't. Well, they filed a police report on April 24th after they found an unknown substance in their men's baseball team's water cooler. Uh-oh. The substance turned out to be paint thinner. Uh-oh. Not good. Attention, of course, turned to their opponent, Why? Bethany College, to see if maybe they had some part of it. Police Poison say, them? Well, police say no one affiliated with either school were responsible. However, police have identified two male juveniles as being involved in the incident but are still actively investigating the situation. How about somebody being so passionate about Kansas Wesleyan's baseball team that they would potentially poison them? That's a rivalry. I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I, I guess These the, two teams uh, just don't like one another. Bethany College? Have you yeah. ever heard of Bethany no. College? I mean, who are these people no. that are so passionate about this? You could kill paint thinner. You could kill somebody. My three other, my next three other stuff segments are actually updates on people that you've brought up on the show a oh, couple wow. of times, or I have brought up on the show a couple of times. Okay. I don't know if you want me to do them in consecutive sure. fashion or just. So the first one's Trevor Bauer. Have we talked about Trevor Bauer? We haven't since the latest. I have him too. Okay, so we we talked about how he was being accused of some really bad, bad, bad things, and maybe he did it, maybe he didn't. Yeah. Sexual assault of the woman in San Diego who apparently agreed to rough sex, but then it got out of hand. He choked yep. her out, the whole thing. And, and then prosecutors decided, we don't have enough evidence that shows us that he's guilty of that. They dropped it. Well, baseball has spoken, and so has another woman in Columbus, Ohio. A third she woman. Is a third. She has spoken. Yeah. Baseball says, sorry, sorry, not sorry. You're out of the game for two years unpaid. A 324-game suspension. Unreal. Even though he was not charged with anything and didn't face any criminal proceedings in San Diego or Los Angeles. Part of the reason I think Major League Baseball still decided to go on with this, this is an historic punishment, the, the biggest single punishment for a domestic assault case in the history of sports is because this woman from Columbus, Ohio, came forward and said, whoa, he did the same thing to me, and they she called Major League Baseball, and they, they sat down with her, and she, they've decided... He's out. He says, in the strongest possible terms, and I quote, I deny committing any violation of the league's domestic violence and sexual assault policy. I'm appealing this action, and I expect to prevail as we have throughout this pro process, my representatives, and I respect the confidentiality of the proceedings. So he says, I maintain my innocence. Yeah. These are false claims. That's why they didn't prosecute <sighs> in San Diego, and that's why this woman in Columbus is not going to Get, have any traction. I did nothing wrong. All consensual. That's what he's saying. More to, more to come on the story. It's crazy. She says, things happened outside of my consent. That's what, Of course, that's yeah. what both of them said. Yeah, yeah. It's, but investigators in San Diego decided after thoroughly investigating that there's no evidence that anything outside of the woman's consent happened. Otherwise, they would have gone along with the criminal proceedings. I'll give you two other updates. Hope Solo, we talked about her. You brought her up. Yeah, yeah. Got she some fall, trouble? Fall, oh, she's been in trouble a lot. Yeah, she but and her lately. husband, Jeremy. Well, lately, the latest is what? She fell asleep at the wheel or or passed out at the wheel yeah. in a... She was in a parking lot in a Walmart park, With her kids lot. in the backseat. That's right. She has voluntarily entered a patient alcohol treatment facility. Okay. Um, she says, I have contacted the Hall of Fame and respectfully requested a postponement of my Hall of Fame induction, which was supposed to happen this year, the 2023. I will voluntarily be entering an inpatient alcohol treatment program to address my challenges with alcohol. 
At this time, my energies and focus are totally directed to my health, healing, and taking care of my family. I want to thank the Hall of Fame for their support and for understanding my decision. And I would just say, for somebody who's really easy to hate, yeah. good for her. That's right. At reaching out good for, for help her. is never good a for bad her. Thing. I hope yeah. this works. Yeah. I hope that she and her husband, right. I think he's still the husband. I think so, yeah. I think they're still together. Can find some level of peace and and tranquility because boy, that's just been a combustible situation it has. from the beginning. Tumultuous. Anyway, it feels very, like. very, yeah. very bad. So she's uh, entering a, a a treatment facility. And then the third one that I'll update is you have brought up Boris Becker. One of my <laughs> as a kid who played tennis, yeah. I loved Boris Becker. For sure. The red I loved hair. The way I loved it. It wasn't the red hair. Uh, maybe for you it was the red hair. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, just the style of play. Okay. Oh, do you remember? He used to dive around. He was 16 at Wimbledon. Had the big serve. Would serve in Valley. Just dive after balls. Yeah. I mean, he was just unbelievable. You brought him up. Financial problems. Financial yeah. problems. Declared bankruptcy. It was determined that maybe he was hiding money after he refused to pay everybody. Well, he has been sentenced oh boy. to two and a half years in, in jail. Whew. And he's now in, in jail. Illicitly transferring large amounts of money and hiding assets after he declared bankruptcy. Two and a half years. A three-time former Wimbledon champion in jail for the next two and a half years. So hiding money after you declare bankruptcy is yeah, frowned you, upon? Yeah. Is that what I'm hearing? Do, yeah. When you okay. declare bankruptcy, yeah. you get, I guess, I guess any debt is, becomes null and void. You get excused yeah. from people you owe money. Depends on what bankruptcy you file, but yeah. So yeah, it's chapter sure 7 you, and yeah, 11 yeah. and all that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know the deal. All I can tell you is... After he was granted clemency from some of those debts, if right. that's the way to say it, <laughs> yeah, um, you're not supposed to have hundreds and hundreds <laughs> no, and hundreds of thousands. No, you're of not. God, poor guy. He wouldn't be the first, and he wouldn't be the he won't be the last. But he was caught. I'll be surprised if anyone can beat him in the intramural tennis tournament in prison, though. He might still be you pretty joke good. About this, he might be pretty. Is that what we're doing? Well, he made some bad choices. I mean, it's not like he got. He did you know? He did. Something was bestowed upon him, like bad health. He I made thought, some bad choices. At least you didn't say. I, I wonder if somebody's going to like the the red hair. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I have a quick update on my buddy Donnie Davis. He was the little person I told yeah, you about. Yeah, that yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So according to the Clark County Coroner, died. he died from alcohol and fentanyl intoxication. Oh, this here we go. Fentanyl. fentanyl. Jeez. This fentanyl. I mean, I told you, it's I, got me. It's got me to the point where in the in the grocery store, I'm reading ingredients, to make sure there's no fentanyl. I know you know. have to now. Fine. This fentanyl. Yeah. I told. I don't know if people remember, but he tragically died in February in Vegas, where he was found in his hotel room bed after partying at a near, nearby hotel casino. I'm just glad fentanyl wasn't around in my 20s because I know I was a dipshit. Oh, sure, I'll take it. Away. You know, just whatever. Let's party. This fentanyl, man. Kill, Be careful kill, out it's there. It's killing people. Left and right. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my update on my old buddy, I Donnie. Be. I have a great story about him. I'll tell you off the air. Oh, crazy night. It's unfiltered. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'll tell you off the air. It's unfiltered. Uh, I've got a, I've got a story. A new NIL agreement was reached, announced. Okay. You know, name, image, and likeness. I'm familiar. It was announced. It's a big story. Arkansas Razorback golfer, yeah, John Daly II, has signed a deal with Hooters. Oh, God, of course. <laughs> now, you're going to think this is some sort of a joke. Oh, but God. what I'm about to tell you is not a joke in, in any sense of the word joke. John, they call him Little John because his father's Makes Big John. Makes sense, sure, yes. He signed a multi-year deal. He's going to be paid by Hooters to represent the company. He will promote the world-famous Hooters brand 
throughout various marketing activities, including significant roles on social media and other digital channels. He will do it with his father because his father's a spokesperson of Hooters. Sure he is. So here's a college golfer who's got an NIL agreement. Oh, the PS to the story? Yes. He's played in exactly one tournament for Arkansas. <laughs> Good for him. He shot one par on one round under par. Jeez. And yet he's got a deal. He's not good enough yet to play on the Arkansas golf team, but he's got his first NIL deal. There you go. Good for him. I there guess that's go. the world we're living in these days. It's crazy. Wasn't there a deal just now about, I heard about, was it Alabama football where every player is guaranteed like $50,000? $50, yeah. Crazy time we're living in. You know, I was one of them. All those people that bitch that these players should be getting paid. I know people say they get education. I thought they should get a little something. This is getting crazy oh, now. It's not getting crazy. Talk it, to people on the inside. Yeah. I got some uh I got some hooks out for some guests. Okay. It, it's gotten it's really bad right now. It's out of control right yeah. now. Yeah. It coaches, feels like it is. It's out of control right now. It's being hidden pretty good. Okay. Not not perfectly, because we're hearing about you know, six figures here, seven figures here. Yeah, the occasional Rainier story. Beach yeah. going to, but I hear I'm hearing through the grapevine that it is out of control. It is oh chaotic gosh. in the business. And they and and they've got to figure out a way to put their arms around it right now. Freshman quarterbacks are going to be driving Lamborghinis to practice. Like, Maybe. I mean god, it's crazy. Well, at least this guy John Daly the second should be good enough to play golf on the golf team before he gets the deal. <laughs> That's true, I guess. But if his dad's involved, yeah, I mean, dad's involved. I I used to do appearances at Hooters. I don't know what salesperson thought that was a good I idea. I think I did too. I think we did the uh, the 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 bigger dance at Hooters one year. No one, years. no one at Hooters was looking for me. I mean, I get up on the mic and everyone's just like, "What? Stop! No, I'm not here for. <laughs> Who is this guy? Can we get back to the girls in the orange did you tops? Wear the, did you wear the little? <laughs> I did shorts? the shorts and the top. Yes, I looked great in it. All right, I know you love American Idol. I, I do. Lane, well, I didn't watch for twenty something years. <laughs> right. Okay. So watching this year, you don't know former American Idol winner Lane Hardy. He was arrested no. and accused of. Putting a wire in his ex-girlfriend's dorm room. Cops say they can hear what sounds like Lane's voice on recording when he planted the device and recordings. He captured included combos his ex had with her mom about breaking up with Lane. And oh. he's booked for interception and disclosure of wire, electronic, oh, or oral Jesus. communication. I just got to say, please don't be psycho, people. Take the hint and move on. If you find yourself placing a bug in your ex's house, they probably don't like you anymore. It's like if you're going through your wife's or your husband's email to find... You're probably right. I like Boris in straight sets over Lane in the intramural <laughs> tennis match. I like Lane's youth. I don't know. No, no, no. <laughs> Boris will be jumping around, diving. Uh, you like these types of story? The bat used by Jackie Robinson Ooh. in the 1949 Major League Baseball All-Star Game in Brooklyn, New York, sold for $1.08 million at auction on Saturday. It's not the most expensive bat ever sold. It would be second now. That record belongs to, and this would be a cool cool item to have, okay. Babe Ruth's bat that he used to hit his very first Yankee Stadium home run in 1923 is sitting with somebody at the nice price of $1.265 $1. million. It's exceedingly rare for bats to cross the million-dollar threshold, so there have been two. Babe Ruth's and now Jackie Robinson's 49 all-star game. Isn't it interesting Bat. how balls can go for so much, but bats don't? You'd think bats would be equal to baseballs. Like, to me, that's even almost cooler. Do baseballs go that, that much? Well, I'm sure, like, like... I think jerseys and stuff go. But, like, the Barry Bonds ball and all that, you know, oh, he was, yeah, yeah. Those. I'm sure those go for a lot. But you think bats, this is the tool that did it right here. This is the one that hit that stupid ball. Like, 
don't know. I think bats are cooler. It's weird they don't they don't go for more. But I love the stories of how these people get these items. Like, oh, my great grandfather, you know, his <laughs> his dad was a groundskeeper, and then he got just crazy how it gets passed down through. And love then the, and then yeah. and then the person that decides to cash out, I love too. It's been in the family for eighty years, and it's always <laughs> it's all it always goes something like this. You know, I've had. Years and years of enjoyment. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Coming yeah. home yeah, yeah. and seeing this on my mantle. Yeah. I don't need the money. Uh-huh. I don't really even want the money. Oh, you don't. But okay. I, but I want to give somebody else the opportunity oh. to have some of the enjoyment that I've had over yeah. the years. Well, you can put it in the That's museum. Put it in the museum for free. Do you want to do that? No. Oh, you don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> what happened to all the joy you wanted to give to people? <laughs> yeah. All right. John Michael Ozzy Osbourne has COVID. Yeah, it's 73 years old. He's yes. not necessarily the picture of health, and it's kind of worrisome Sharon, for his family. Yeah, yeah. The Prince of Darkness wasn't able to stave off the evil virus and is recovering is in L.A., and his wife Sharon was in tears in a video announcing it. And the tears were mostly because she isn't sure if she can shove her senior citizen husband on stage 50 times this summer to make another <laughs> $80 million. We'll see. But this kind of worries me because, I don't know if you've seen the guy, he does not look like the picture of health. So No, he hasn't in 25 years, though. Yeah. He never has. He never really has, no, has he? No. Yeah. And Danny Bonaducci. You see the update on Danny Bonaducci? Yeah. He, Danny said some news to share. I'm taking a temporary medical leave for my radio show, I guess in Seattle. I forgot he's on in Seattle. Yes, he is. Oh, yeah. You used to go up against him, didn't you? I'll share more. So did when you. I, did we? Nah, he wasn't a factor. I'll share more when I <laughs> <laughs> I'll share more when I know more. I'm still working toward receiving diagnosis, which is scary that you know something. He's like, hold it. He had a cane. I mean, 10 years ago, the guy was like, Boxing like Schwarzenegger. People. Wasn't he boxing? Uh, do whatever. Wasn't he doing what the Pauls do? Yeah. Like boxing professionally? He was like celebrity boxing? Yeah, whatever that is. But yeah. he was juiced. I mean, he was yeah, so not, not muscular. Yeah. And now he's got a cane. From the Partridge and, family. From the Partridge. Little you know, Danny. With the oversized base that he used to hang yeah. around his shoulders. Anyway, get well soon to Danny Bonaduce. I'd never met him, but I'm... All know. right, I got an RIP. Okay. I've got a recommendation. You always recommend for th- things for me to watch. Sure. I got something for you to watch. Okay. And I've got a... One last story that I find, I don't know, I find ridiculous, funny, and interesting. Okay. A Massachusetts couple won a verdict for nearly $5 million against a local golf country club after suffering from what they call years-long continuous threat of wayward golf balls struck by hackers. (laughs) Okay. A Plymouth, Massachusetts (laughs) couple were awarded. Their names, Eric and Athena Tenzar. Yeah. They were awarded $4.93 million in December, finding that Indian Pond Country Club was at fault for not protecting the couple's home from constant barrage oh, of bad golfing. <laughs> oh, gosh. The continuous threat of golf ball strikes occurring at any time prevents the Tenzars from the use and enjoyment of their property, <laughs> the uh, lawsuit stated. The property was purchased for seven hundred and purchased for seven hundred fifty grand in twenty seventeen. The inconvenience of an occasional backyard golf ball pales into comparison to the six hundred and fifty one <laughs> dimpled spheres oh, that have struck their property. Oh my, you have to wear you see, catcher's gear to mow the lawn. You see, <laughs> the couple's home is at the bend of a severe dog leg to the left. Okay, of the cur- of the course. Yeah. So golfers that were seeking to cut the dog leg off would regularly blast (laughs) off the tee in hopes of clearing a tree line, but end up hitting it right into their home. Oh, God. 651, you said? 651 golf balls. $5 million. But now 
The couple and their three young children yeah. hope the problem has been solved because the tee box at 15, the 15th hole, has been moved back, decentivizing golfers from their attempt to shortcut and instead encouraging just a simple Layout. shot in the fairway. Gotcha. Shot in the fairway. I, I just, how many people have I known uh, you, that lived on golf courses? That I mean, you purchase a house on a golf course. I know. It's part of the deal. You're going to have a bunch of titleists in your pool yep. or in your backyard. These, these people literally got a $5 million verdict out of it. How do they come up with that $5 million? For what? Like I, I don't know. I don't know either. What, why not 10? I don't know. Yeah. But, but, how, but how, I would think that when you buy a piece of property on a golf course, you like sign away your right. right. That's what I would think too. They got $5 million for golf balls being in there. And by the way, this is probably some nice Pro V1s that you can keep and play. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Jesus. But don't they put like some kind of netting up? Don't some houses have like protective or no? You don't want to do that if you you're on a that. golf course. I don't think you do that. Yeah. Wow. That's why you don't put a house on a corner, right? I mean, if you're... <laughs> and by the way, if, if, if their deal is worth $5 million, how about the, the the house down the down the golf course where alligators come into their backyard? <laughs> right, uh, that's got to be ten million at least. Ten million, yes. They come out, you know, the gators. They come out of the little uh, creeks, well, yeah, ponds. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Right Saw into your one backyard. With a football over the weekend with a football in its mouth. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be worth at least ten is million. It, is it the golf course's responsibility to keep Wally the gator from coming <laughs> into your backyard? Yeah. All right, so that's the one story. You said you had an RIP. I'll do the RIP, but I do have a recommendation. Can I do a recommendation? Sure, yeah, yeah. This isn't a show. You always give me shows to watch. Yeah. Do you know the name Scott Van Pelt? I do, yes. He's the ESPN bigwig. Uh, sports center guy. Like anchor sports center guy at night. I, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm kind of indifferent about him. I'm not a huge Van Pelt guy. Okay. I could give him, I could take him, I could leave him, sure. whatever. He did a thing the other night. Now, you're a dog lover. You're a dog owner. Yeah. He did a thing the other night on SportsCenter. Okay. About his dog. Oh, and I'm not going to say anything about it than, more than that. Okay. I'm just going to say that Scott Van Pelt took a five-minute segment out of SportsCenter to talk about his dog. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I, I, it was, it was really well done. It was okay. It was really nice. I will look that up when I get. It, when yeah. I get home. Is it is it a tearjerker? A little bit. Yeah. Does he break up a little bit? A little bit. But it's, it's not something you see you see every day. Okay. From a from like a big national show. Right. My recommendation to you, it's all over the internet. I've heard of this it. This www thing. Yes. Um. So in between Barry Manilow. Yeah. Videos. Sure. Watch the five minute, four minute and 50 second version I'm on it. Of, of Scott Van Pelt about his dog. So I'll say that. And then I have an RIP. Okay. My RIP is Kane Tanaka. Did you have her on your list? No. Do you have a list of RIPs? I have uh, one, two. Who do you have? Uh, this one's tough. Lauren Burnett, a sophomore catcher for the James yeah. Madison University Dukes, died yeah. at the age of 20. Yeah, there's she two was... of them. There's two young young female athletes in the last couple of weeks. Well, Sarah Schultz was a cross-country yes. athlete yes. at the University of Wisconsin. Yes. But then we talked about Katie Meyer at yes. Stanford. It yes. feels like we, these won't stop. These are all suicides? Yeah, so a spokesperson oh, for the medical examiner's office says that Burnett died by suicide. Oh. She was just earned Colonial Athletic Association oh. Player of the Week honors on Monday for her performances and games earlier this month. Yeah, oh, 20. The worst stories you could ever bring up. Yep, yep. So that that was my first one. And then Naomi Judd. Oh, yeah. 
Naomi Judd, the mother. The mother, yes. Yeah. The Grammy winning country star. Yeah, yeah, 76. And this it felt like this kind of came out of nowhere. No, People didn't know she was sick. Maybe her kids did. But oh. I think she was scheduled to give an award as we, on a Sunday, maybe this Sunday. I don't, don't know. It, was, it came out of the blue. But the Judds, as you know, first formed in 1983. Massively successful career for about a decade. And then they didn't talk. And then they reconciled. And anyway, Naomi Judd passed away. She won five Grammys between 85 and 92 at the age of 76. So my RIP is Kane Tanaka. You don't have her on your list. I don't. She uh, She's from Japan. Okay. And she was born on January 2nd, 1903. Do the math on that. Wow. Bellevue. 118? 19? <laughs> 119? She died on April 19th oh. at the ripe young age of 119. Let me give you some numbers on her. You like stats? I do. She became the oldest living person on January the in January of 2019 when she was 116 years and 28 days and somebody uh, passed away. She also is the second oldest person ever recorded, ever. Wow. Only behind Gene Calment, who lived to the age of 122. She was born in 1903. She married a rice shop owner at 19. And on that day or the day after turning 19, yeah. she started to work in their family store. And she worked in the family store until she was 103 years old. Oh, my God. So she had the same job. How's it? How, how does my 23 years at KJR look compared to her 84 years? Right. 84 years in the same store. She twice survived cancer. Oh. She lived through a multitude of historical events, surviving two world wars and the 1918 Spanish flu. Crazy. As well as surviving the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, titles of the oldest person living now and the oldest person female living are now thoroughly being investigated now that she's passed on. So we don't know who she... She was supposed to, by the way, for the the Olympics in Japan, pass the torch. Oh. You know that thing? Oh, she was sure. going to be yeah, a part yeah. of the pass. But it was it became too risky because of the pandemic. Sure. They didn't yeah, want yeah. to expose her. So uh, rest in peace to Kane Tanaka at wow. age 119. She, she could have a kid that's 95. Well, she's got like the person who posted the news is like her great-great-grandchild who's like 84 years old. <laughs> that's right. That's what I'm saying. It's crazy. <laughs> Wow, uh, so 119. 119, hot shot. Oh, good for her. I don't want... I, I'm okay not getting to 119. Oh, you are? Yeah, because yeah, I, I think at some at, point you're going to... like 118, at 116. Yeah. <laughs> you're good to... At some point, not to be morbid, but you're going to yeah. bury your kids because your kids aren't going to live that long. You're going you're gonna to bury... Kids. Yeah, you're going to bury every... Yeah, grandkids, I mean, yeah. Your grandkids could be dead at 70, 60. Of yeah, that's... Wow, 119. 119. What's the secret, you think? Did she give a secret to living that long? 84 years of working, maybe? I well, I think somebody asked her, but she was uh, not available. Cigarettes and bourbon? Well. That's what I like to think. <laughs> All right, I got headlines. Are we ready for those? Clean headlines, or sure. do you have anything else? Sure. An Oklahoma City couple's canceled flight on their way to Las Vegas led them to hold their wedding aboard a Southwest Airlines plane. Saying your vows while smelling a Southwest Airlines bathroom is... Actually, a step up for most Oklahoma City weddings. A woman has married her cat. Clean. Her cat in an attempt to stop her landlord from forcing her to give up her beloved pet. So she married her cat so it's like a spouse. You can't kick the cat out. 
I mean, why not, said the cat. You only live nine times. A Brazil man, <laughs> a Brazil man who celebrated his 100th birthday, 100th birthday this month, was awarded a Guinness World Record after working at the same company for longer than 84 years. Well, she worked... What did I tell you? 84 years. Yeah. Was her- so he must have beat her by yeah. a day. Yeah. Sadly, he still doesn't have a parking spot. A married couple celebrated 30 years of marriage. That's, by-, by the way, what that, what, you know where that comes from? Radio. That comes from him being scarred. <laughs> oh, God. Having to go out and change your car. Oh. Move it. I would work a two-hour shift for $6 an hour for the babe. I'd go out and I'd have a $23 parking <laughs> ticket on my car. I did the math and it cost me $11 to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> that's $11 before taxes. It's probably <laughs> cost me like, can you write those tickets off? Oh God. Can you the use worst. them as a deduction? And the little chalk yeah, mark. Again. Oh God. The, the chalk mark on the tire. You don't know about that. Oh, routine? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know about that routine, yeah. but I was thinking like the body. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to at some point <laughs> as I'm changing into my old spaghetti factory outfit on the way down. What All the right. hell did you do to those parking attendants? And, and then we, we get a new building. We get it. Yeah. We, and we, why do they always have their arm up in the chalk mark? Yeah, always. It's always, yeah. It's, yeah, it's like it's like the Heisman pose. And then we get a brand new building. I'm like, oh, a new, it's our building. A brand new building. Brand right? new building. We're going to have our own garage. Oh, all the parking you can handle. Yeah. Bring mm. two cars. <laughs> That's right. Bring your motorhome. Store it down there if you'd yeah, like. Nah, no. Still no parking no spot parking. for old hot You're job. not allowed to park there. Nah. You can, but you got to pay. And on principle, I refuse. All right. A married couple celebrated 30 years of marriage by playing the lottery. Principle. Subsequently winning $66 million. Oh. Not too shabby. They've been married 30 years. The woman was quoted as saying, thank God I can finally marry someone hot. See you, pal. <laughs> a Pennsylvania highway was closed for several hours Wednesday morning when an overturned tractor trailer spilled its load of 40,000 pounds of chicken nuggets onto the roadway. Oh, I could use a chicken nugget. And sadly... Like the real McDonald's chicken nuggets? They're just, it just or like just chicken, chicken like, nuggets. They could be Tyson. Okay. It could be anything, okay, yeah. yeah. 40,000 pounds of chicken nuggets on the roadway. Sadly, you still only get one freaking sauce. <laughs> you only get one it's always a big uh, i don't know why nugget sauce is like the, the most sought after commodity ever at mcdonald's you know, they give you one my memory was the summer that i worked in mcdonald's in 1983 yeah oh that was the year the seahawks beat the dolphins i remember good year 83 go on my memory is in, probably in 1983 summer is that the mcnugget had just been invented so i've, I've been telling oh. my kids for years my both of my kids like mcnuggets i like mcnuggets sure. you know mcdonald's I've been telling everybody that I think I worked at McDonald's when they were invented because I wanted to make myself sound really old as if I don't <laughs> look old enough. Yeah. And I finally, after a lot of years of saying that, you know, sometimes you, you feel like you've been saying something that's wrong for all these years. I wanted to go back and check it. So this past week, I actually checked when the McDonald's McNugget ah. was actually served nationally. There were some test markets. Sure. But when it was served nationally... Gosh darn it, it was like the month before I started for Richard really? Mandeville at the Jupiter McDonald's <laughs> in 1983. Oh, Richard Mandeville, he gave me my first job. was my first job. Wow. What a nice man. He gave me a job. I was 16 years old. Yeah, sure. I had just turned 16. And uh, I'll never forget the first time that I worked the cash register for like eight hours or seven hours. You know, they then Torture. they... Torture. Then they 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 at the end of the day they see how 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 much you're off. Oh sure yeah. 
to the penny. Oh, really? <laughs> right on the penny. My Jeez. name went on like a board. Like there, were, It was so rare wow. that somebody ever could finish a six or seven hour shift and that your drawer could match the receipts to the... And by the way, no credit cards. I don't all, think we all took... All cash, I don't right, think, yeah. I don't think I took a credit card. I don't think we could take credit cards. Yeah. I think it was all cash. <laughs> God. And it was a great day until the door swung open. I kid you not. The door swung open and Bob Levy came walking in, who had never been to a McDonald's in his life. I believe it. This is true. He had never been to a McDonald's. The first McDonald's he ever went to was in the summer of 1983. And I can do the math. He was born in 33. So he was exactly 50 years old the day that he went to his first McDonald's. And he came in. He was so proud. I took his order. And he's like, what do you recommend? What kind of recommendations? Yeah, he had no idea. <laughs> the filet mignon, is and that he, still available? And he ordered a cheeseburger, medium rare. <laughs> and I said, Dad, rare, yeah. it doesn't work that way. Yeah. John well, Howie works here. He's the one back Medium there. rare. God. <laughs> and then I think his bill was like $8.56 back then. Yeah, yeah. And I think he gave me a 10. Oh. But that screwed up my drawer. <laughs> and you don't get to keep it if it's over, right? You don't get this. It's not he's a tip a, job. Yeah, he's giving me a tip. My uh, son, I'm so proud of him. Yeah, Here, yeah. Take a tip. Sure, yeah. And Mandeville's back there watching, going, now his drawer's <laughs> all left up. <laughs> Mitch is not going up on the on the sign today. I worked oh, there. Bob Levy walked right in. Yeah. I worked for there for a couple of years. I had a manager I loved named Paul. I would love to see the guy. Yeah. And no, Richard went, Mandeville was the, uh, the owner. He was the owner. Okay. He was the owner. But this manager, Paul, went to the University of Miami, coincidentally. Really? Yeah. And he used to tell me. Which uh, McDonald's was it? In Issaquah. The one that's still there on Gilman. His name was Paul. And he was like the nicest guy. I think I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And right. I just, I'll never forget. We were so insanely busy. And back then the sandwiches would come up and he'd have to wrap them each one individually and put them in the, the warming bin. Yeah. And then there was a time, a clock. Yeah. Yeah. You, they, you put on a grease pencil, what the number was or something. I think yeah. I told this story, but he was really busy and he, he takes his hands and he just rubs them through his hair to get oh, his hair out of it. Jesus. Goes Poppy. Right back Poppy to wrap from him. Seinfeld. Yeah, God. So nasty. Oh. But I love Paul. Great guy. I love Well, I had a good time working there. Well, when the, McDu when the McNuggets came out, in the summer of 83 in yeah. Jupiter, Florida, and I was serving them. The, 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 there was only a six-piece McNugget. That's Was it six or eight? I think there was a four. No. It was either six or eight, and they had not done four yet. What about 20? They had not done 20. They had not done any of them. Oh, okay. When they first came out, there was one size. I believe it was six. Six-piece McNugget. Okay. You have to go check me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've told this story before. So they went into the fryer next to where the fries went in. The yeah. fries went into that basket and then sure. in, and then the and then the next fryer, the the McNuggets came out of a bag. I don't know where they were. Yeah, they came out of a bag. You don't know what they're made of either. And the rule was much chicken that when you put the McNuggets into the frying machine, okay. you had to put in a multiple of six because you weren't allowed to have oh. two McNuggets from one batch <laughs> yeah. and two from the next. You or can't have any orphans. And you don't want yeah. any. You don't want any like leftover. That's right. After a batch, because you don't money. want to you want to waste food. Yeah. No one could get that. <laughs> you, wait, are you saying people that worked at that McDonald's weren't from MIT? Is that what you're telling me? No degrees from MIT. <laughs> and constantly, yeah. and it drove me nuts, yeah. we'd get to the end of a batch and there'd be two McNuggets hanging in there. And they had to go in the trash. That hurts. Because you weren't allowed to use two from... Because people could not get the multiple of six yeah. things. They just it dumped did, the whole bag. Work out. <laughs> they not give a crap. <laughs> I used to take a... So I perennially would have two McNuggets in my cheeks. Of, of course, yeah. I'd take a Mitch, nugget. what's going on? I, I don't know. 
I'd put it in a chicken nugget, put it on a piece of cheese, and hit it with some mac what sauce. What year would this have been? Big mac sauce, and then E.O. is delicious. Oh, um, you mean the special sauce that nobody's allowed to know what it is? Yes, correct. Russian dressing? I, yeah. can, I can tell you pretty Thousand close nine. to when I got this job because I was working at Safeway. I think I may have told this, okay? I was working at Safeway. I was doing the cart. You know, you know, that was a bagger. And it was the day that the University of Washington football team was playing UCLA at home. If they beat a crappy UCLA team, they're probably number one. I think that's the case. They were going to be number one. So I was like, I heard they were losing. You know, we didn't have internet. I go in my friend's car. We put the, him and I put the seats back for like an hour. And it's the Saturday before Thanksgiving. So it's packed. And some a-hole told on us. So come that next. You lost your job. Well, I, w- I quit before I could let him fire me. <laughs> I went well, over to McDonald's on Gilman. I had to. I yeah. w- literally walked across ah. to McDonald's because Safeway used to be right next to it. Yeah. Because yeah. I was living with just my dad. And if I didn't have a job, like that wasn't going to fly. So it was right around like November of 90 is when I got the job at McDonald's. And they hired me right away. Seven <laughs> years after Mitch. <laughs> yeah. So I was 83 in Jupiter and you were 90 in Issaquah. That's and right. there you go. Episode 189, a treat for you. You got a little update from McDonald's. That's right. All right, that's it. Episode 189 is in the books.